Called it loon shit. It's just that freaking greasy top layer on those northern roads. But I froze my bag off. Like I had every piece of clothes on inside my Hey guys, welcome back to Come Out Heavy Podcast. I'm Curtis, I'm here with Devin, and uh, yeah. It's been a been a few weeks since we've been on. We had to take some time off. Devin was going hunting, and I was busy with work, so we're back at her now. We got some pretty good guests lined up for the next uh, the next month before we go sheep hunting. How's it going, Dev? Yeah, fuck, it's great to be back. I'm doing good. <clears throat> um, fuck, feels like it's been longer than than four weeks or whatever, but it feels good to get back in the saddle and fucking dust off the old vocal cords, eh? <laughs> you got the voice of an angel. <laughs> yeah. You got a face for radio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why we fucking don't put this shit on YouTube. No one wants to see this shit. Yeah. <laughs> but. Um. Yeah. No. It's uh. It's been good. We just been. Yeah. I think everyone's getting kind of geared up, pumped up, and finishing off bear season all over BC. So it's been fun there. Um. Yeah. What it's uh. You haven't been able to get out in the bush much. You've been working like a fucking dog, eh? Yeah, it was pretty quiet most of the spring, and I went out a couple times, but it was still pretty early. And then, sure as shit, as soon as starts getting ice out, fucking work's been hair straight back. But I've been trying to get the exercise in. You know, I decided to take a year and a half off of doing literally fuck all, so I'm grinding it out now in the last month and a half before we go sheep hunting. Been trying to get some workouts, some hikes, trying to eat a little bit better eating these things that they're called fruit and vegetables i don't know it's they don't taste very good that's all i know <laughs> fuck you you look you look good hey i tell you you just you're glowing yeah. you know, all that exercise you've been doing you're just glowing yeah a lot of people have calorie deficit i'm carb loading right now and just uh you know <laughs> making sure i got some extra juice in the mountains <laughs> yeah i know that's good yeah i've seen your post there it's been uh encouraging too it gets me to fucking th- make sure i throw my bag on a little more and don't forget you know i've been exercising a bit kind of getting prepped for it but you know summer gets so busy you kind of stop and start doing everything else so yeah it's been good throwing the bag on trying to get out i mean we're also trying to dial our gear in now i think everyone even though we're what month and a half away from sheep opener but kurt and i are making phone calls and every day to each other and just kind of talking things through seeing what we want to put in the bags this year uh how we're gonna pack how we're gonna approach the trip i mean all that stuff even though nothing really changes at the end of our conversation it's good to just go through the motions of that and a few new items this year i mean obviously we've talked about frontiersmen 
you know, coming on and sponsoring us. So we're super pumped to get our hands on a few of his Mountain Series blades and, and put them to the test. So if you guys are doing the same thing, thinking about cutting a bit of weight and also adding a lot of quality to shit you're putting in your packs, that's Kurt and I are really pumped. We've been talking to Tanner every week just about different feel and knives and stuff and then fuck we're like can't wait to to try these knives out so yeah we're definitely excited to get our hands on those things and uh yeah he's uh he's got lots of things coming down the pipe for him um he put a post on uh, instagram today about i think they're moving into a new shop and a whole bunch of new products and whatnot so give him a follow and follow along on what he's doing with his company it sounds like they're expanding pretty quick here he, he sounds like he's super busy so yeah, go check out Tanner Danish at Frontiersman Gear, and and he's building some pretty cool shit. Get your hands on it. Yeah, other kind of updates in the, well, we haven't been on for over a month, and it was good to see wild sheep, act now movement. It, uh, I mean, it made some ground. Uh, looks like 50,000 letters got recognized by the BC government, from what I could tell, um, from all the posts and all the pictures, and I really like that the post from the Wild Sheep Society guys was like, phase one, this ain't fucking over. I'm like, fuck. And it's just sweet. Like, I feel good. I mean, obviously, we want to keep, but I think we I think we did a pretty good job for the first time trying to approach this as a group and, and get some traction. What do you think? Yeah, I think, it, you know, it started a little bit slow, and then it, it seemed to start trending. And, you know, once guys start sharing the shit out of it, I know we were big advocates for it all the other podcasts joe pell the edge like you know you even seen it some of it in the states and it's good it shows that you know the bull's not going to get pulled over our eyes again like it did with the grizzly bear hunt i mean we can talk that to fuck that we're blue in the face because or red in the face because that still makes me fucking mad but um we're ready for it we got ahead of it before it got got too far out of hand and nipped it in the bud so it's good to see I know I probably sent a hundred of those fucking things <laughs> in for people, but that's what we need. So, and it's good to see the MLAs responding back to the emails too. I got, well, I sent it out to three different MLAs and I got responses back from two of them. So it's good to see. Um, we're definitely, our voice is being heard, I think. And hopefully we can get a lobbyist group going. So we have a continuous voice in victoria vancouver wherever the fuck those granola eaters are fucking are joining up to fucking try to cut us out so yeah it's good to see fifty thousand. that's that's a pretty good group of people yeah one well, lobbying group i think something's in, has been pushed through now i don't know if you called a lobbying group and you know if anyone's listening to this from the wild sheep society and this group uh there's i don't know a group of I don't know what you call it. You, they've started something in BC. I mean, the Wild Sheep Society's on it. BHA's on it. I think the BC Wildlife Federation's on it. Maybe the Guide Outfitters. And, and there is going to be a group that is going to help support these issues at a government level. I think that might be the next step. So it'd be good to get someone on and, and get them to explain all that to us. And, and we can help spread that word next. If that's phase two, I mean, reach out and let us know and we can have a little bullshit sesh about that and, and pass that on i mean i'd like to be educated on that definitely definitely so yeah it's uh it's looking like uh 
LEHs should be coming out in the, in the next week here. Everyone kind of predicts the, the last week of June, so that's going to be exciting always and to see what we don't get. <laughs> it, it blows my fucking mind how back in the day when we had to fill out the fucking cards and mail them in, they had to get to Victoria, and then you still waited a month for results. Everything's electronic. How does it take so long to fucking go through? You know what I mean? Like, it, it's... You spit it in a fucking computer or put them in a computer and it spits out the fucking winners. I did just, I don't get it. And of course, every day you're just checking. I'm like, fuck, fuck. I, I don't check because social media updates you so fucking oh, quick I know. with it. I just wait. I just wait. But yeah, it's fucked. Like, I don't, I don't like how long we wait. I don't know if the, this fuck we can rant about it a bit, but it's like ever since they went to electronic, it, I hate that we, it's so late in the year to submit it to. Yeah. So it's like, end of may like fuck i'd rather be the end of january yep and then have your results end of february or fucking they can take their time give it to us in march because fuck like we got a sheep hunt plan we're leaving end of july what if we pull what if we both pull a bighorn tag we're flipping all of our holidays we're flipping all of our plans we ain't going north anymore because now we're gonna hunt the bighorn together like you're gonna come to me i'm gonna go where yours is like we applied in different areas for bighorn so if we pull a bighorn tag stone sheep's off like yep. we're, we're not going stone sheep on that's how i look at it i can't afford to take four weeks off in this short of notice and that's like same I, I always put in for that atland caribou draw and like you get that that's a fucking like your your potential of shooting a fucking monster is really high and that that would throw a whole another fucking quirk into things too so it's it sucks right like when they do that earlier sheep draw like i think it's tashinini or whatever the fuck it is that's earlier and people get those results earlier too, right? So why can't we do, yeah, January, even February, get your yeah. results in March? Fucking, you can easily make plans. But if you're going to change your entire fucking hunting season based on what you got in LEH, you know. It, and last time I actually drew something, I drew three fucking things. I drew grizzly bear, caribou, and a moose. That's the last moose draw I've had. And like what are you gonna do like i i'd love to go hunt caribou but when i have a fucking grizzly draw and a moose draw i can't fucking do three different fucking hunts i can't anyways yeah. most people probably can't so it's, well not no, probably not you put in for all those because you're rare to draw one every year i mean that's fair it's it is a lottery system i get it you're not supposed to draw all your tags but then yeah you get that and you got to plan a year and a month well i'd, I'd like to Two see months. like the system that they have in some of the states like with the point system, I know there's flaws in it too, but it it seems like guys, you know, you can save your points and then when you do decide to put in for a, a big ticket animal, you can yeah. kind of bank like, okay, my odds are extremely fucking good at getting this because I've been waiting 10 years or something like that. Like then a guy can plan it out a little bit better. I don't know. The, yeah, the well, beast... Alberta, Alberta has something like that. I mean, yeah. it's not even just the States. I'm pretty sure Alberta is a similar system. Yeah, like... The BC government, man. Maybe wow. they're gonna come knock on my fucking door because I seem to bash the government quite a bit. But they're they're the fucking way they they manage their wildlife and yeah. Nah, well, I don't want to go down problem. that fucking well, rabbit well, hole. Well, no, but it's the it's the same problem that we talked about with all the act now stuff. It's the same thing. There's no one and at the government level that cares like we care. Right? Like there's and that's where we need that group. I mean, yeah, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but like, if you think about it, it's the same level of shit. There's no one there advocating for it. 
like we could talk about this and it's could spread around and i'm sure 95 percent of people that listen to the podcast would agree with what we're saying about the leh i probably probably everyone yeah like fuck yeah earlier leh should be fucking sweet but there's no one on that level like the government that's a big change i get it that's you got to actively change something yeah at the government level we all know how slow the government takes to do stuff and how much money they waste doing it <laughs> so it's like i get that that would be a big change but if we have a group there that's bringing up these issues on a quarterly basis at these big meetings eventually that squeaky wheel might get a little fucking oil because they're like holy fuck is this all they're going to talk about is the leh is it as easy as we just move it up in the year yeah and they'd be like yeah fucking move it up in the year <laughs> yeah. so. i mean you're not going to keep everyone happy you move it up and then you'll get the old timers that'll be like it's been this way for 70 years and <laughs> and i fucking missed it you know <laughs> like yeah. you're not going to keep everybody happy but i don't know it there is you have to keep us happy is what we're saying yeah fuck fuck everyone else i'm just joking (laughs) kind of not but yeah Uh, and don't mind i'm eating an apple right now so if you hear some mucking in the background (laughs) i'm sorry but i'm not sorry because i'm fucking hungry it's the fucking grease ball eating a fucking (laughs) apple boy things have changed Uh, i hope you have a fucking athlete beer to wash the apple down (laughs) yeah choke it down yeah um, yeah, the other thing we're kind of, well, Kurt and I always do this time of year too, getting ready for any hunts. It depends. It does not just our sheep, but we also do with elk because we, we spend a lot of time uh, scouting via internet or apps. And obviously we're going to talk about the app we use and we've been talking about it this whole time and, it, and it's the Fat Maps app. And what we've been doing with that lately and what I've been doing a lot uh, and then sending to Kurt is kind of two things it's got enough detail in certain areas especially in that sheep country where you can identify water you and a lot and the way we do that is by looking for green up so at the top of a little draw you can really see heavy green which would probably mean there's a little spring um we i've located a few little ponds that i've tagged on there and we kind of put like water slash camp so i mean that's the detail that i think that's how fat maps kind of got really popular is they take the google imagery and they've enhanced it to the point where you can identify small ponds little creeks and they've cleaned a lot of the cloud cover and a lot of the blur not all of it but fuck in most places i find it really clear so that's one way we do it so if you guys are looking at that i mean obviously check out fat maps and you could hit us up again we got some more voucher codes to give away this month so if you want to send us an email or shout out at instagram and we'll hook you up with a free month and you guys can try it out and see what i'm talking about there we also plan our day routes out a little bit not that we are going to follow it but it's nice to see the kilometers and the mileage that you might put on in a day and have that stuff i don't know it kind of gives your mind some ease you're like oh that there's water there i like the water thing i don't know about you kurt but i really like knowing where the water is i mean after last year going into there and not having water after first day until the end of the night luckily yeah i think having those water points puts a lot of like oh it doesn't matter there's water three kilometers away we can get there my my biggest thing that i really like about it is when you add the the gradient filter and it changes the colors depending on the slope so you can pick your routes like that's how we lay out a lot of our routes on where the the way we want to go i mean it's a little bit different when you get out in the field but for the most part, man, that gradient, like we could pick our way down through the rocks and the shoots based on the color that the map showed it, you know, green being relatively, relatively flat and, you know, purple is fucking vertical. So it just, it kind of ramps up so you can see nice little routes on your way, like down through the draws or up through the rocks. And 
you know, like we used it a lot. Like we shaved off probably four hours coming out, packing that cheap out just by not even looking at the terrain, just looking at that map and being like, okay, there's a little bit of a, like it might be 25 degree slope cutting through these rocks and it's red all around, but that one spot is green and you're like, fuck, all right, pick your way through there, man. It was a piece of piss. So try it out. If you haven't already looked at it, definitely hit us up. We'll give you a free month and uh, it, it's worth your fucking time. And I, I, I know that everyone that once you get that app, you're going to, it's like 30 bucks a year. I think it's fucking peanuts. Spend more of that at fucking McDonald's. So, um, <laughs> yeah, well, not anymore, gradient, not anymore. Like I, but. So like kind of on the same topic of gradient is the flats feature. So you just put flats on. Yeah. Um, I use that. You find camp spots or like sweet lay down glassing, like midday glassing spots. So like what I was doing was we have our pins, we have our trails and in, in sheep country. And then I put the flats layer on and it'll put like, I bet you they're like 10 foot circles. Yep. I don't know what their tolerance is on it, but it's like these little green dots. And one of them was perfectly in a saddle where you wouldn't have thought you could lay a tent. Yeah. Right. Like it looked steep enough, but they put a flat now, like you said, fuck, is it real? But I bet you it's pretty damn fucking close. Like enough that we could lay a tent there and be like, yeah, that's a camp. So we know there's some nice flat area. Oh, that was fucking sweet. Well, where we camped last year, like that's kind of where we based, like that looked like a pretty flat spot. And you get in there and it's just a little bit of a divot up on the Alpine. And it's enough that the wind just kind of whistles right over top of you. Because, well, anyone that's been up in the backcountry knows when you pitch your tent and the wind picks up, it can be a fucking, like, crazy fucking windstorm on the top of a mountain. So you find them little recesses when you're up high and it'll fucking save you a lot of, a lot of grief when the wind picks up. Well, and I used it, like we can tie it into, you know, what I was getting up to bear hunting uh, a couple weekends ago. And I used it there when we, uh, we were glassing the, the one hillside and we were glassing those meadows. And when we picked up the bear and watched him for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes where I, where he exited the meadow and, and went into the timber, I had that offline map, map save for that area. And I was able to be like pin last spot I saw the bear because you know once you get up in the that alpine and you get level with those metals it get fuck I actually got fucked up I thought without using fat maps I was like oh this is the meadow he was in well there was like two or three more fucking meadows that he was actually in and I was like holy fuck so it was good that I dropped that pin to like give me some kind of a reference of where he was yeah yeah so that that, that was pretty neat you want to uh dive into your bear hunt like I know well, obviously we haven't talked about it because you guys went out that weekend and uh yeah just touch touch up on it a little bit yeah well it kind of it wasn't like spur of the moment or anything but we we really wanted to do like a backpack style kind of backcountry hunt in the spring um just to get out more than anything like and i've kind of touched on it before that i haven't really bear hunted much like actually focused on trying to kill a bear so it was a bit exciting that way to be like, you know, new species to learn about. I've been learning about spring and we've had our episodes, you know, chatting with you, chatting with guys around and then hunting partner down here had a spot and I don't know, we can't seem to just focus on a bear. We have to have like a ulterior motive, which is elk. <laughs> so he's like, if there's no bear, we're going in and cutting trail and setting up a cam and, and scouting for elk. Like, cause he, that was like the attitude going in was like, 
well, we probably won't find a bear, so we'll scout for elk. I'm like, yeah, whatever, that's cool. So we knew that like heading that high, we were gonna probably get snow, so we we opted for quads. And good thing because the the shitty little road that we went up to get into the backcountry, the trucks wouldn't have made it just because of the snow. But we were able to pick through it or pick around it with the quads. So we we decided quads and then tents on the quad, and then we'd find a spot when we get up there. So yeah, we kind of poked in on a Friday evening. Uh, and then just, we were just going to wing it, just kind of get up after work and probably sleep close to the quad road. Like the, it's not really a road, but it's kind of like deactivated kind of country. So we pitched, pitched camp on a Friday night, uh, is actually the first time using a floorless style tent. So I haven't used these TP style. My partner's got one. Uh, I think it's a seek outside brand. So I, I thought that was going to be interesting. It's kind of that center pole design. Now it, it'll be kind of similar to what you and I are going to take like with the refuge shelter in a sense, because not floorless, but just that kind of non-pole design. So learning, you know, the tie out points and kind of what, what works and, and different things. But, uh, so it was my first experience with that. I liked it for, I guess, ease of setup and it, they're super light and easy, but my cons on a floorless style TP tent was the first place we did it was a bit like dusty, like a little bit dirty. Mm-hmm. And it was dirty. Like, I'm not saying I need to be super clean when I'm hunting, but like you lay your sleeping pad down in your bag and it's just that fine, like kind of, there was no grass to lay it on. And it was just that kind of light powdery. So things got dirty and I didn't really enjoy that, I guess. And then there's no bug fly, but luckily we pinned it down tight enough that the bugs didn't bug us, but I'm sure that won't always work. Yeah. No, for, for me, I've never stayed in a floorless shelter, but I've got no desire to ever do it. Like, well, especially like fucking pollen just makes me fucking seize right up with allergies. <laughs> so that's one thing, but the bugs and everything else, fuck, I got no desire to fucking, I want to be in a fucking actual tent with a, with a floor and a bug, bug screen. Yeah. I, I kind of the way I was, I mean, I'd maybe use it, uh, certain times of the year because he can he can put the stove in that one mm-hmm. so i think those late season when you're not worrying about paul and you're not worrying about bugs and you do want that extra heat that's a pretty sweet setup i i would agree like if you get that you know you could just because there is a, a tarp you throw down that you lay on so like don't get me wrong we had like a little tarp but it's just it was just messy i guess yeah. is the only thing and I, i'm not trying to be a bitch it's just saying like i'm used to the clean bottom of the tents we've taken and always yeah and i prefer that I'm right now. I'd say I prefer that. I think guys that use that, they use those more bivy style sleeping bags where they're waterproof on the outside or whatever. And like, if I had one of those, yeah, I I get that. I think because then it doesn't matter if it gets wet or dirty or whatever, you can just rinse it off. But you know, with a thousand dollar sleeping bag and a $300 sleeping pad, I I don't really want that shit on the fucking ground in my eyes. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, fuck, getting after it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that was the kind of the one new piece of gear that I kind of got to play with. And then, yeah, it was good. We made kind of a plan for this hunt. Like, there are a couple of alpine patches. We were camped the first night at, I think, about, like, 5,000 feet in elevation just from the quads. And then, so the snow was pocketed in spots, but there was some nice green up in the alpine. So... We had a couple areas we were going to glass and pick up. We literally had didn't have a, a really know what to do besides just glass slopes and look for bears. And mid-morning, about 8, 8.30, we p- 
picked another spot where we could glass quite a few alpine spots and ended up picking up a what seemed like a decent bore at at the distance we were glassing or a decent enough bore like we weren't going to be really picky matt wanted meat either way and as long as it was like not a one like a yearling black bear we were looking at taking one so um picked him up and then the swaros again like they were key we were glassing at about two and a half kilometers and man i i've fuck i've fallen in love with my my 15s like matt's like my partner down here he he's running eights and he's texting me every week right now being like fuck should i get 12 should i get this he's called omer he, now he's called precision he's he, yeah, he messaged he's me too he's asking what i run and and if uh if i thought the 12s would benefit him at all or the 15s or the 10s that's pretty funny he's he's fucking yeah. got the sickness for sure oh yeah he loves the gear he's already got his binos up on the buy and sell i seen that <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just good i mean i i told him i said you know you don't have to go to 15s but honestly now that i have them i don't notice the bulk i've literally pretty much run them as my daily now like it's funny like oh they're big i'm like my 10s now just stay in my truck and i just don't take the 15s out now yeah. thick country elk hunting i probably won't bring my 15s just because that's stupid but it's just yeah i don't notice it no and but that's just weight man like even packing the swirl spotter like that's it's an extra fucking with that in the tripod but that, when you pull it out it pays itself off one glassing fucking session like you know oh, yeah. it's you can't you can't kill what you can't see no exactly so yeah we picked him up and and made a play like that that was like saturday morning um watched him and kind of put him not to bed but put him to when he went to the timber was for, he was probably going to have a nap because mm-hmm. it was kind of a sunny morning and it was about 10 ish 10 30 when we he kind of tucked into the timber so we figured he was probably bedding or gonna go cruise the timber a bit or something so then we made the play to go up into that alpine like hike up a little bit and then we were gonna set up shelter up there and then hunt that same we figured we could glass that alpine he was in hoping he would come back out for like an evening feed or a late afternoon because we didn't know what the weather was gonna do yeah so we fuck it we got up into there and it was a good little hike like nice little burner like not a crazy hard but enough to you know get the lungs burning at about 5500 and then by the time we got to the peak we were 6000 and I, I did notice the lungs were like that was enough elevation that made a difference so that was nice to do kind of get kind of get you to remember what the mountains do to you after a fucking winter definitely so we picked into there and hiked the ridge all day fought the thunderstorms and the rain and the hail and I don't know, tested out all the rain gear, make sure it didn't have any fucking leaks. And it, and it doesn't. It worked. <laughs> um, yeah, it was good. And then, fuck, we were going to stay that night and hope he would come. We didn't pick him up. So we found his tracks in the snow. It looked like a decent bear. I mean, it didn't matter. We knew he was a boar. Like, it was just good. Like, we were going to go for him. And we had planned to glass, basically, from where we put camp up in the timber, like, just heading into the Alpine, because that was our best look at the, the slopes. And we had fought thunderstorms all day, and it was fine. They were like decent storms, but with nothing that was gonna kind of scare us off the mountain or anything. And then we got back to camp at like five. We're like, okay, we'll have some dinner. We'll glass our glass, and we fuck. It's light in the mountains till like nine, so we're gonna have four, you know, three hours of glass and waiting for this bear. And you could see a storm rolling in, and it was that like really calm air before. And I'm like, holy fuck! Like, I wonder what's gonna happen for tonight. And so I just had enough cell service. There was one little spot I could pick up the weather, 
and it was like well if it's gonna clear off it was gonna drop like the lower valley temperatures were gonna be like four degrees so we're like fuck it might be chilly tonight and we weren't really prepped for that i mean i had my normal sleeping bag and like whatever gear i normally take but we didn't we didn't prep for those kind of shit it was 33 degrees here that week before our hunt so we figured it wasn't gonna be too cold while a fucking storm blew in in like the next hour and I, I think i've posted a few pictures on instagram and shit and that it went from that morning green sun where we have that bare glass into like an inch and a half of snow up in the alpine in the matter of like 20 minutes and, and it was kind of just kind of laughable we just i asked matt i said like what do you got for extra gear? Like you, it's gonna get cold because that storm blew in, dumped an inch and a half of wet snow, and then blew off and went completely bluebird. I'm like, it's gonna drop. Yeah. Like we're gonna get fucking cold. Like I had everything. Like I had my super down and stuff. Like I, not saying I wouldn't have been cold, but I, cause just cause of the wetness and the dampness. But it was like, he had one down vest, and, and that was it. So it was like, we kind of made the call to like just the quads were fairly close you know a few hours to get to them and it was just not worth the hassle i guess like staying there so yeah we pulled out it kind of put our hunt to a damp a little bit of quick quick ending and it wasn't what we were expecting but at least we got to see a bear and test out the gear and it was kind of you know matt's first experience kind of straight back country so um yeah, it was good. I mean, I had fun and, and it's nice to, you know, I haven't been able to prove out gear like that before, before, uh, before a sheep hunt. So it was good to try out a few new things and do that. So, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's uh that's a pretty good way to get yourself back into sheep shape too, is to get on the mountain and test all your gear and see what, if, if there's any issues on what you got. Right. So, yeah, so it was good to get out and uh, I'll do it again. I don't think I'm going to have time to do it again this year. There's only a, a little bit of time down here. The bears are open to the 30th. I mean, now that we're prepping, I've been prepping the, the quad trailer for our sheep hunt and the quads and then just wrapping up things around the house. So I don't think I'll get out for that. We're looking at maybe setting some cams up and, and wrapping up a few things here this spring and should be good. So, yeah, I mean, Kurt and I do have a, a guest coming on this show too. We thought we'd do a pretty a longer intro just because we haven't been on for a while and we wanted to catch up and – but uh, it's a good buddy of Kurt's and a friend of mine, but uh, more so Kurt's good acquaintance. And uh, he's a, a good hunter and well, he's a passionate hunter too, more than anything. So Kurt, you want to kind of intro, intro what we got, got coming today? Yeah, today we got a good buddy, Whale on the Roo from Quinnell, British Columbia. Um, yeah, we kind of met through hockey. He's a little bit older than me and, you know, we both enjoyed obviously hunting and I think we went sheep hunting for the very first time the same year uh two different areas obviously but uh yeah it's kind of watching how we both kind of got into it together and experiences this guy you know he's a diehard sheep hunter so uh yeah with that we'll send it over to whale on the roof hey guys i'm sitting here with uh the tornado himself whale on the roof uh me and Waylon go way back um playing hockey and whatnot and we actually got together and started the senior hockey team back up in Quinnell for the Quinnell Kangaroos back in the day and uh we kind of well I mean we both grew up moose hunting in Quinnell and deer hunting and whatnot but we kind of got the sheep bug 
kind of around the same time and whatnot. So, yeah, we decided to have him on. The guy's got a lot of experience. He's been on a lot of trips. He's the only guy I know that goes on multiple sheep hunts a year. So I uh, figured he's got some pretty good knowledge and intel when it comes to backpack hunting, sheep hunting, gear, and jet boating is another big one we wanted to talk about too. I know uh, a lot of guys like to get after sheep on the jet boats. So I'm going to throw it over to the man himself, Waylon. How's it going? Good, good. Glad to be on here with you guys today. Good, man. Good. Um, so we already did a bit of an intro to Waylon. So kind of want to know where, like, you know, I think both of us, we didn't really do any backpack mountain hunting until we went on our first sheep hunt, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so what, what kind of inspired you to go? And, like, I know some of the guys that that kind of plan the trip out with you and whatnot. You want to just kind of touch on the guys and and what what sparked your interest in it? Yeah, what, what sparked my interest in it is we used to spend lots of time back around home here, mule deer hunting, obviously, trying to chase these big mountain big muleys that we got around home here and this one good friend of mine he always he always ends up killing lots of big muleys and so i like i like going out hunting with him you know getting to know how he was stalking into those mule deer and stuff like that i think he's got a couple in the in the book for sure and uh they were they had already went on quite a few i probably i think four or five sheep hunts before that and you know we'd go on you know typical mule deer hunts get up at you know four in the morning drive out to the area walk in and dark and keep going in and stuff like that but these guys always ended up going on these multiple backpack trip hunts so actually uh they had a, a spot for somebody to come with them and uh, asked me if i wanted to go and you know didn't do like you know the typical nowadays where you're where you're just like you know trying to train for it and go in there and so we went in there kind of you know as just normal hometown hunters and went in there kind of a little bit out of shape and you know it really really kicked our ass pretty good when we went in there so after that then I started realizing that once you if you want to do this sheep hunting you really got to do a lot of different types of prep and areas and uh, you know conditioning stuff like that and like Kurt mentioned before we started playing hockey again so you know it was back getting back in shape so it wasn't that hard to actually stay in shape to make sheep season out of hockey you know it was really nice by the time I'd finish playing senior hockey and then I'd usually go do some some tournament games with a team called Wicked and uh, so I'd come out fairly late in the late and I'd only have to really train for a couple months to stay in tip-top shape by the time we went sheep hunting and then after we went on the second trip realized how much the conditioning end of it was good. We had a really good trip on the first one. Uh, Kent and Jeremy Betcher had a nice area we went up. It was a walk-in hunt off of uh, off of close to Todd again and we walked in for quite a ways it was about uh well it was good full two twelves in and it was a, a nice horse trail for the first couple hours and then the horse trail went one way and for some reason we went the other way and i remember <laughs> thinking why aren't we staying on the horse trail and they just said just keep going right it was a long ways in lots of lots of up and downs and you know one guy had a really sore knee when we were in there and I kind of thought it was like an easy hunt the first time we went in there. We, we like this sheep hunting stuff's pretty easy. We walked all the way in there, seen a bunch of rams. Uh, I still think that one of them was a really nice legal ram, but we didn't actually end up taking one. But I think we found a band of about 12. 
And then we hiked up a couple other sides, and we had a really good hunt. Um, one guy's knee was bugging him real bad. And so we ended up coming out after about seven days with no sheep. But after that, then I really started taking it quite a bit more seriously. You get that fucking bug in you, right? Yeah, like, you get that sheep bug. Yeah. Once you, you get up there, like I've, I was telling Del, Devin for years that just wait. Like once you're up there, man, you'll see. It's a, it's like being on the fucking moon. It's Everything's different. and yeah. You know, you... you take pictures and it doesn't do it justice you try to explain it doesn't do it justice but just when you're in sheep country there's nothing more beautiful than it eh no i remember trying to explain like you know you come home all excited about it and trying to explain it to your wife and she like looks at the picture for two seconds and looks away and you're like well you didn't even look at like look at all the valleys <laughs> and the grass hills and like we climbed up that and yeah yeah it's once you get the bug you know you got the bug that's the way it was and i got the bug pretty severe so <laughs> the yeah. uh your first trip in, what was your, like, biggest learning from it? Like, what was the thing you came out of it and be like, holy fuck, I got to change that and that, whether it's physical or gear? Well, it was both for sure. Um, the gear we did okay. It was, you know, just being smart about it. Like, the conditioning was huge. Like, I wasn't in really, really good shape. None, none of us really were, all three, but they're kind of, you know, kind of hardcore cowboy guys, so... They just tough it out, so you end up just toughing it out. But yeah, it was definitely definitely a learning curve for sure. So now you've been transitioning. Well, not now, but over the years, you've transitioned into different gear. And Kurt and I were kind of talking about it before the podcast, and and I've talked with you a few times around a campfire, drinking whiskey and Quinell, or <laughs> yeah. or talked to Kurt about trips that you've been on with our with Garrick and different things. And it kind of always came up that you had a bit, maybe a bit different method than standard, I guess you could say, as far as like early on, you were chasing basically as light as you could go. Is that like, correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, is that true? No, no, it was for sure. It was where the first trip, you know, when you went in there and you were out of shape, like it was hard, you know, our bodies were beat up and stuff. Right. So you, you started trying to figure out how you could, you know, be easier on your body, which the biggest thing I can say is your conditioning to it for sure. But we didn't really take that into a hundred percent consideration at that time. So we started really lightening up on pack weights and, you know, spending, you know, a fair bit of money on a lightweight gear. Right. But, uh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, things have changed a little bit, the more hunts we've went on now, you know, the first ones we went on, we were getting really light and, and, you know, you'd be sacrificing some things. So the more hunts you go on, the more, more things you realize that you don't sacrifice versus some that you do sacrifice. You know, now that I've been, you know, I'm probably about a 12 year sheep hunter, something like that. Since the first hunt I went on, we uh, don't necessarily pack like we did back then. So, so know, back we're then, still pretty light, but yeah, back then, what would you cut out? Like, what is, what were you looking at that would be maybe something most people would take, but you were like, fuck it, I don't need it and I'll deal with it. Like, what, what were you guys cutting out to make weight lighter? Yeah, it was, it was everything an ounce is an ounce, right? So like right from your clothes, everything that goes inside your pack. So, and we'd pack our packs 10 times and, and then weigh things where we were at, right? We, we didn't necessarily cut too much food, but in the beginning we used to take, uh, we always took granola in the mornings and then we'd take our lunches and we wouldn't make our lunches as big as we make them now. 
we didn't really ever struggle with the food side of it. And then we'd take them out and host for our dinner, obviously. But now, we, I know I do take a little bit bigger lunches nowadays, but a lot of times I don't finish my lunch in a day mm-hmm. now. So I kind of probably am packing a little bit extra weight on food. But food, you can cut out. Uh, some things that I don't cut out now is I'm not a big granola fan. Like, I can handle it. And I'm more like the, you know, the... the the mountain house, the granola and blueberries, and now the new peak ones, right? I might take two or three of those for granola mornings, but I like, I burn a lot of calories. We hike a lot of miles. We hike up and down lots. We don't, you know, if we can see something, we'll go after it. So I, I end up eating lots. So I like my calories when I'm sheep hunting. So we, food's a big thing for sure. So now I take, I take like breakfast skillets in the morning and I take uh, wraps and some hot sauce. And like even the new peak ones, they're really big and there are lots of calories in those. So I could probably get four to five wraps off a of mountain house breakfast skillet in the morning. And I might eat, you know, three right in the morning with my coffee. And then I just seal my bag up and actually add that to my lunch. And yeah. I'll actually sometimes eat another wrap during the day or at 10 o'clock or something so like that. So just kind of touch on that. You're, from my understanding, you're taking, a lot of guys do this. They take wraps, like they take a pack of wraps. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And then yeah. you're taking like a breakfast skillet and using that as the filler in the wrap. Yeah. So oh, you take the breakfast like skillet that. in the morning. So you're basically eating like, you know, like egg wraps in the morning. Right. And it gets you, you know, a little bit more carbs from the wrap, which, you know, carbs are big when you're up there for sure. And then, uh, you know, our, our lunches will consist of, you know, uh, I'm a big fan on the energy side of things. Uh, my lunch will have a five hour energy every single day. And I also take quite a few of the energy cubes. So we'll take those. I probably take two to three of the energy cubes each day. Um, I've experimented, you know, every time you weigh your, weigh your uh, trail mix, it's heavy. And you're like, do I really need this much trail mix, right? <laughs> yeah. So we went on a couple trips. Me and Mike Dubuque went on one and we cut out our trail mix. And we both came out and said, like, we're not doing that again because you're, like, dead during the day, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, so carbs are big on those lunches. And, you know, I I do like to take, uh, I have done it every day. But right now I probably would take about five, where it's, whether it's a, a couple itchy bands and some chicken noodle stuff that you can cook up for some hot soup. Like, you know, you have the, the one cold rainy day where you're stuck under a tarp on the side of the mountain or something. You can have some hot soup. That's, uh, that's soup. That's one thing that we brought last time that like we had borscht. the borscht and yeah. fuck man. Like we, we ate it on the way out, packing that ram out and we took a break and just laid in the sun and fucking had hot borscht. Fuck. It was good. Yeah. I, I love the soup. Like when you're stuck in, like nowadays we're spoiled. Like when we first started going, we didn't have iPhones oh. and downloaded movies and battery packs to charge your iPhones yeah. three times and in reaches and everything. So the first time we went, I think I had like four pounds of batteries just yeah. in my bag, right? Yeah. Double A's, triple yeah. A's, surefires. Like now with the power banks and the rechargeable batteries, it, the we get, even the food, the food has developed so much since when we first started compared to now, like mountain house had like probably four flavors back then, at least what you could get your hands on. Yeah. That and, was a, that was a whole different situation. Like I remember, I remember going to get in Mountain House, you know, when we first started, it was, you know, half decent, quite a bit of stuff, right? And I thought, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, obviously when you first start eating freeze-dried, you're like, oh my God, this is dog shit. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't that bad, right? And then I went on a, I actually went up to NWT with a good friend of mine and killed a doll sheep up there. And I get up there and they got like 
chicken and fajita mountain houses and all these like killer mountain houses you never even heard of living in Canada, right? Yeah. Like, so that was a big disappointment in them, you know, that, you know, why don't we get the same freeze dried at them? Like it was actually <laughs> like a mind blowing. Then you talk to Johnny's boss there, Stan Simpson, and he's like, oh yeah, we buy it on the shows and buy it in yeah, down bulk. south, right? Yeah. And, get a crate of it. Yeah. So, so that, Sorry, I didn't want to cut you off, but that, okay. but I, before you jump into another another thing, I wanted to, if you had to, or could you tell us kind of roughly what your pack was like for weight when you were doing the really light style compared to now? Do you kind of know like what you try to try to go in? What were you trying to go in with for a weight then, and what are you going in with now? Well, back then we'd probably sit, you know, fifty five with our guns. And so, everything. Yeah. So we were we were getting pretty light back then. We probably ran fifty five. You know, sometimes that's no water. Like you know, obviously, yeah. This is way in your pack and your yeah. Because what we'd end up doing. So how we got our our weights down is we would have split pack. So stuff that you split right. That's, so yeah. We so we'd have we'd have our our our. You take your clothes. You take your clothes. What clothes you take is what you have to live with in shitty weather, right? Like yeah. you're not borrowing my freaking pants or my coat, right? Like. So you take your own stuff like that. And then we'd split like the tripod, the spot and scope, you know, we even actually thought about taking one gun. We actually never, ever did do it, but it had crossed our mind in our, in our talks. So, and then we'd, so we'd split out, you know, one tent, you'd have a two man tent that would split out out of there. Um, the still, still tarp, we'd split that out. So basically what we did is we sat down and said, okay, you're taking your food that you want to take. You're taking your clothes that you want to take. And then, we'd throw everything in a pile and we'd weigh the pile and then we'd weigh the things and we'd split that back and forth to stay it. So some, and then you'd weigh your packs at the end and buddy would be like, shit, I'm at 64. Yeah. He'd be at 55 or whatever. So you'd be <laughs> go to your pack, right? Like there's no way I'm packing an extra eight pounds in him. Right. <laughs> Just trying to get even. Oh, I got a fucking buddy. First time that Garrick and I went, right. Yeah. So we were, I think we were 60, 63 64 pounds something like that we were nice and even <laughs> and uh so we stopped at that trout trout river outfitters whatever the fuck that was placed in prince george was and i bought i had this cheap redhead backpack it was like 73 fucking liters it was just a big fucking tube anyways it felt pretty comfy when i put it on and garrett put on and he had uh one of those what the fuck everly stock dragonflies or something like that and he's like, this thing sucks. He's like, I'm so he bought one of those Badland packs, but it was like half the size. It's like four thousand cubic inches or whatever the fuck it was. So, anyways, we're driving up north, and he's in the back seat, and he's fucking taking the stuff with his backpack, stuffing it back in his. Well, the fucking shithead, the we doesn't tell me. So my bag's loaded, right? Well, he was fucking his bag was fucking way smaller, so he was stuffing shit in my bag. Didn't tell me. <laughs> So we fucking do the five hour poke up to get up on the fucking mountain and yeah, it's dark. So we set up camp here and I start pulling shit. I got four pounds of salt in my backpack. I got the fucking tripod. I'm like, and I pull up, I'm like, where the fuck did this get? He's laughing. I'm like, you are a motherfucker. Like, I yeah. bet you I was fucking 80 pounds and he was probably 55. I'm like, you fucking cocksucker. That's awesome. Like that, <laughs> yeah. That's like your, a dream come true to get all that in your buddy's pack. Yeah, for oh, sure. Man. <laughs> I've always thought about like, you know, we don't ever pack booze up ever. And, you know, be, well, we have a couple times we took a, when me and Jason Earl ended up having a double header there, it was right after Dave Marsh passed away. So we ended up taking a bottle of, of rum up there that he liked to drink. So. 
But normally we don't pack booze up there, but I've always wanted to throw like a plastic 40 pound oh, yeah. whiskey in your buddy's pack and he packs it all the way up there or something. <laughs> yeah. Case of beer. <laughs> Once you got all the way up there, it'd be good, but you know, nobody ever does that. We packed a Mickey up. Yeah. A few well, we times pa- we'd pack a Mickey up, but. Yeah, I think a Mickey's good. I, I, I still like it. We packed one in our bear hunt this year. I mean, it wasn't packed in. We had it on the quad and drank it that night, but I, I think it's <laughs> yeah. enough weight that like, fuck, I'll do it. Like, fuck it. Yeah. But the thing is, like, the only time I cracked into it is when I shot my goat. And me and Nick and Garrick, we got back, but by the time we were bagged and you get back, the last thing I want to do is have a sip of fucking straight whiskey. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh, take a little sip. Like I'm good. On our <laughs> first trip, we went in with Kent. Kent and Kent likes to drink beer. He's a, he's a pretty good beer drinker. Like we got, you know, like a 15 pack in the truck for when we get back there. And it's like, you know, quite a few road pops on the way home kind of thing with, with Kent. And we're sitting back at camp a couple of times. They're like, you know, you're, you just talk so much and you just, you know, we're always like, we're really close friends too. Like everybody you go sheep hunting with, it's you're yeah. so close with. Remember getting this brainwave, like, you know what, if you could just envelop like a pill that you could just get a glass of water and drop the pill into the water and have a beer, like you'd be a multi-billionaire. Yeah. Like, <laughs> who wouldn't want to pack these, like, you know, you pack a little 12 pills up there and you got 12, 12. pills. Like, be just sick. <laughs> Because I remember, like, sitting back at camp, like, on day, day six or something like that. We're all like, oh, well, we wouldn't die for a nice cold beer right now, right? Oh, yeah. It's kind of like on your mind coming out always, too, right? Like, it's nice. Oh, yeah, you know, we whether had it's beer a, fly, a fly and hunt, yeah. we always got, like, a, a, ro- a plain yeah. stash, right? Yeah. Like, your plain Big food. fucking steak and some fucking yeah. beer in the yeah. cooler, man. That's yeah. what we have. Some, yeah, like, you so, know, Cheetos or one guy, take he takes a loaf of bread and peanut butter and jam. And he, yeah. Like, literally, you get... You get, just get down to cap, the cooler lid's off, and he's making a peanut butter and jam sandwich. <laughs> like, you know, I'm looking for the six-pack or the case of beer that's stuffed he's in the lake. The yeah. <laughs> he's having peanut butter and jam sandwiches. But that's, that's a good motivation thing coming out. Like, you know, like the whole way out, like, you know, you're we're usually pretty excited because we usually got sheep on our backs. But coming back down and out, like, you know, you're thinking about this, you know, there's oh, freaking yeah. two snakes there, fucking water. there's a case oh, of yeah. beer, like, and you're just going down the trail, just giving her, like, all the way down the bottom, right? Yeah. And you're thinking about it all day because you've been eating shitty food yeah. for whatever, 10 days. But right? you know what the funny thing with, like, the shitty, the mountain houses and stuff is, like, when you're on the mountain, man, when you get back to your tent yeah. after a long day, you're just like, that thing tastes like a fucking porterhouse steak. You're just like, yeah. I'll eat two of those fucking things. Yeah. And you just muck them. I've had one at home. Where I'm like, I'll try one of these things, right? It tasted like, fuck, yeah, dog shit. Like, yeah. it was dog food, mush dog food is what it tasted like. And I'm I, like, this is fucking horrendous. <laughs> but on the mountain, man, I'm licking the fucking bag clean. Like, yeah. it's so good. Or oh, yeah, like you got the bag tipped upside oh, yeah. down, right? And you're drinking even the juice at the end of it. And then same thing happened with me. Like, you know, you're like, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's garbage. You're like, well, you know, it's not really that bad. And then I went moose hunting and, you know, we took some mountain house because i'm thinking it's not bad right and he's eating a, a t-bone steak beside me and i'm eating you know beef stroganoff on a mountain house and i'm like oh my god this yeah. is just awful gross, yeah. right yeah. and i've i've always wanted to experiment like kent and jeremy they they've their moms are kind of look after them pretty good but a lot of times they'd freeze dry their own food at the beginning like before mountain house yeah. was around right like you know Dwayne and Kent and them they hunted before really you could even buy freeze dried food right so yeah well that's that's what our family did my mom's yeah. been dehydrating 
uh, soups and dehydrating turkey and dehydrating hamburger. And when dad and I done a couple of our horseback caribou hunts, you can pack whatever the, I mean, with Gare Bear, you're packing 60 pounders of whiskey, let alone fucking <laughs> fresh food. But, uh, yeah, she did a really good job. And, and like you said, before mountain houses were a big thing and so good and they work good. The guys will do it and it'll last for that time. Like if you dehydrate your meals, a month before you go sheep hunting it's not going to go bad like it's it's no. good so they do the yeah. horseback ones in the like jason and them when they go on the horseback trips you know they'll make the meals like whether it's roast beef mashed potatoes and peas and carrots or whatever and then they just put them in uh like sealed bags and then they actually just drop them in the water in the boiling water oh. and heat them up that way yeah oh, like yeah. in a in a vac seal bag yeah in a vac oh, seal bag right and then they just drop them into the, in oh, the boiling cool. water heats them up yeah. like that yeah. fuck that's that's really good. There's lots of tricks that people like, you know, so, there's so many different types of hunting, right? Horse, oh. horse hunting, there's jet boat hunting, there's flying hunting, and everything's a little bit different in yeah. which way. And I, I find every year that we go, we just tweak. Like, I've got my original fucking gear list from the one that Garrett gave me from my first hunt. And I'll look at that, and then I'll look at my next one, and my next one, and then I'll take some stuff off, and then say, like, last year, there's something we didn't use, didn't need, would never need. That goes... But then there's something where I'm like, fuck, I wish I had this. That goes back in. And then you kind of just play with your gear list. And like the nice thing with fly-in or a jet boat, like you have the capability of storing some stuff at the, well, even with us with the quads, right? Leave some shit at the quads, uh, some comfort food or some extra gear. Like some shit goes sideways and you need to come back to camp on day two. You know, you can refresh, you know, hydrate. So yeah, it's 100% on planning. Like, you know, whether a sheep hunt, all, as every sheep hunter knows, takes lots of months of planning. You know, not as much anymore because, you know, you've done it quite a bit more. But everything from areas, where, you're, where your base camp's going to be, how you're going to hunt it. Are you, you know, some flying hunts, we've flown into lakes and hiked out other lakes, right? So then everything's coming with you. You know, whether, like, the trip I plan on going on this year, we're going to hunt two sides of a river on both opposite sides. So... You know, what we're thinking we're going to do this year is probably two eight-day trips, right? So we'll have an eight days worth of freeze-dried sitting at the boat. You do eight days up one side, come down, hit some boat food up, get a you know a couple of good meals of lasagna in here or whatever you got at the boat, whatever you decide to take up there, then grab your next eight days food and do up another side. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's there's through trips, there's round trips, there's, like you said, even on fly-ins where you can fly into one side, hike one side of a lake and hike the other side of a lake. You know, like, you know, it's very easy to do that in a couple of lakes like Moody and Denataya, you know, all those, Cook, all them, and Colt, all those lakes you can hunt both sides of it, right? Yeah, so. kind of go pick a direction, spend half your trip going that way, and then yeah. backtrack and go back the other way. Yeah, it's, yeah. that's yeah. a nice thing, like, cheap country is, like, literally, if you can see it, you can probably get to it. It might take that's, a while, but it's exactly it's, the way it is. you just keep fucking going until you can't go anymore. And that's where, you know, it gets, it's intimidating. It's an intimidating sport. You, you, you look across a, a, as far as your eye can see and you think, oh my God, I'm never going to get there. And freaking six hours later, you're eight hours later, you're there. Right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's hard to picture how far you can actually get through it on in one day. Right. You I know? think it's so, uh it's a bit deceiving. Like, like sure. you said, it fucks with your mind. I did it just like, it's not even the sheep hunts worse. Cause that country you can see for so long. And it looks so far away, but it's like even just simple. And when you're up in those mountains, like I did it this weekend, I was like, holy fuck, we're going to go all the way over there. Well, it only took like 45 minutes. 
Yeah. yeah. I thought it was going to take all fucking day. Like, I literally did. I'm like, oh, we're going to have to dip into that little draw, go up over that one. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's nothing. We could have went way past that. Like, so we were starting to look at the next ridge and the next yeah. ridge. Like, it's weird. Like, and I've been in the fucking mountains and it still tricked me. Like, I was like, yeah. what the fuck? It's so optical, you know, like you, you talk to some old experienced hunters like, you know, Kent or Johnny and them guys, right? And, you know, you if you can see a ram that you want to kill, go kill it. Yeah. Like, don't think, oh, that's too far. Like, that's never too far. If you can see it, you can kill it. Yeah. You know, unless there's a big valley or gorge or rock ravine or something that you got to go way around or something. But, yeah, it's deceiving. Like, you know, it's it's all about never giving up. You never give up, you know. You got to just pound the ground. You got to stay in there. You know, some people get, and I've had it. I've had anxiety up there, especially on my first trip. Like, you know, I'm worried of, you know, what if I'm this far back and took us two and a half, three days to get back here. I'm going to sprain my ankle. Like, how am I going to get out of here? You just have to put it all in the back of your mind and just, you know, tough it out. You know, watch how your footing is when you're going up and down. Know your body, you know. When you're way back there and, and you're beat up, you know what? Sometimes you need a rest day. Yeah, and any experienced hunter, especially on sheep, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking a rest day. And you know what? You plan it out. You plan it out to a nice glass vantage point, right? Sit there all day in glass because, you know, as everybody knows, the more glassing you do, the more you're going to see, right? Yeah. You know? And the less walking you'll do too. Yeah. And, you know, you start, you start watch, like, you know, you always heard the old guys at the beginning there. We just pound ground, pound ground, pound ground. Glass the basin, don't see nothing, go to the next basin. Glass it, go to the next basin, right? Yeah. Those yeah. are more, you know, are not as successful trips too, like, you know, pounding ground. Like now we'll we'll watch areas quite a bit more, you know, go past areas, watch them back again on different angles. Like it's crazy, there could be 20 sheep in there and you could look at a basin for, and I've seen it, you know, looked at this basin for three days and all of a sudden there's 20 sheep in it. Yeah. Where did they come from? You know, they didn't climb up and over the top, you know, maybe they came out of the trees. Maybe they came on the side hill or maybe you missed them. Right. We've had it where you, you're hunting the same area for four days and like you see a couple sheep, but at the far end of the plateau or whatever, and then you wake up and there's fucking 10 sheep right above you. And you're like, where the, where the fuck did they come from? Like, like they just traveled in overnight and they're right. We were up there the day before. And then all of a sudden, fucking, there's it goes from nothing to ten sheep looking at your tent, right? Well, you know, you never can see the little dips and stuff, right? Like on the angles, like whenever you're climbing up, sometimes too, you're climbing up and you think there's the top, and you're like all excited to get there. You get oh. to the top, and then all of a sudden it goes up again that much, and you're like, oh my god, right? Fuck. You get to the top of that one, and you go up again, like, yeah. you know. So you can imagine what you miss up there in different angles, you know, different lights, you know, everything from heat waves coming off your spotters to you know, glassing is super important for sure. Oh yeah. It's it like, you know, you've got gone on more trips than I have, but everyone says like, I asked lots of taxidermist guides, outfitters, like what's the, they said, just make your fucking glass, do the walking for you, pick it apart and then pick it apart again and then pick it apart again and just do circles, do grids, do whatever. But, and then you'd be amazed on all of a sudden, boom, Something's fucking standing there. You've looked at that thing a hundred times and all of a sudden the sun changes or it stands up and all of a sudden there's fucking animals standing there looking at you. And so. there's so many things to take in consideration in glassing. Like glassing's a big part of our, our hunting for sure. And we've done so many different things with glassing. Like, you know, from doing grids, starting at the top, doing grids, back grids, all the way down the mountain faces, back up the mountain faces. And uh, 
everything from getting to know your own body too. Like everybody's well, eyes are different. Getting comfortable. So, getting comfortable. Um, you know, like I'm a firm believer and I don't go on any sheep hunt without, I pack a chair. Yeah, that, I heard that. Right, yeah. So yeah. I'll pack. I'm, I pack I'm a, packing. That's actually interesting. I'm packing a stool. I packed it yeah. this spring, Kurt. And I'll send you the link if you want to look at it. It's yeah. 14 ounces, 17 inch tall pack stool. Yeah, we Mine packed it on the chairs. bear hunt. It was it was like the most comfortable glassing position. Like you sat in it, and I would agree. Like I'm yeah. saying, it, we used it this spring, and I was like, "Fuck, this is coming sheep hunting." Well, you really? know, you know, like yeah. he, like sometimes my partner there, he doesn't always pack it. He does quite a bit. Pretty much anybody that goes hunting with me, and when we're sitting at camp at the end of the day, and I'm sitting in the chair eating my mountain host, yeah. and you know you're sitting on rocks, and you you know your hips are sore, and they're digging in your hips, and they're they're looking over at me, and they're just like mad, like it's yeah, like, like everybody's yeah. trying to sit <laughs> in your chair, right? <laughs> and mine, mine basically was the big game changer for me was is back at camp for resting when you get back at camp that night, like you know, to, it makes my back feel better. Than, than sitting on the ground but but mine was glassing like i don't have the greatest eyes for compared to people that i've went hunting with right i've went hunting with some pretty experienced like guides like one of them's guided for 20 something years right you know he's killed i think 90 rams or something like that and he can he can just lay back on a mountainside and put his hands up no bracing nothing dig his elbows into his gut or whatever and he can pick stuff up he doesn't have a gut <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't have no, a gut. No, in his no. ribs. In your, in your hips. In your hips or whatever, He's got right? permanent fucking rib holds. Yeah. yeah. And he can spot stuff everywhere, right? You know, and, and me, I have trouble with that. So I started, at first, I started adapting to always putting mine on top of my one pole, my binoculars. Mm -hmm. Not not counting setting up your tripod every time, right? Because me personally, with my eyes, is if I sit down, I'm first thing, tripod's out, spotter's out. Yeah, for me, right? Um, same where, thing. Where my other guys are straight to binals, right? And a lot of times they'll pick them up quicker because I'm still setting up my thing. Like if there's sheep there right away, but uh, you know, that that kind of comes into play on on who's killing your rams, right? Like I don't necessarily, like I don't even really care to kill another ram that much, mm -hmm. and I would rather see partners get them. So, but back in the beginning, it would always be like when I went with Kent and them, it was whoever spots it shoots yeah. it, right? So you're racing so to get like your everybody's fucking binals like, up. Yeah, everybody's like jumping down, binals up, trying to spot him, right? And I never spotted him first, right? I'm like, I'm going to never kill yeah. him, right? Yeah. Right? So I like the coin toss better, right? Like I'm, yeah. I, if I get the vote, it's the coin toss versus whoever spots it first, yeah. right? But uh, yeah, spotting, spotting is definitely a big thing. Um, and then... You know, you don't have to listen to what everybody says on the on the podcasts or the web, you know, the internet stuff all the time. Like, you can jump out of to what suits your eyes. Like, I got one buddy, you know, everybody's 10 by 42s. That's the only binos you take sheep on, right? 10 by 40s, 10 by 42s. And one buddy of mine, he he packs, what are they? They're swirls, but they're 15. That, Devin just go pick those up last year. He just year. picked them no, up last year. SLC, 15 by 56s. That's right. And that's what, that's what my, uh, my partner there hunts with. And he's like, swears by them. And he picks oh. up like all the sheep. That's like, Mikey, eh? Yeah, yeah. that's Mikey. No, I remember he, Mike talking about it at the sheep show. You know, I remember being like, you're crazy. Saw. Like nobody hunts with these things. Right. And then I look through them and I'm like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, the only problem is with them is I don't rock them right now. And I would in it instantly because they're way better, but I just don't get the, the, 
ballistics out of them. Like they don't have those ones that you just bought. They don't have the built-in range of the no, ballistics. No, they don't. So what? Yeah. What are you running right now? I'm running the the like HDBs with the all the ballistics built yeah. into them, and then I have my. Uh, Is that the rangefinder? Rangefinder, yeah. everything measures your barometric pressure, your altitude. Um, you put all your gun ballistics into the SD card, this little tiny mini SD, and you stick it in the side of it. You know, Omer's sets oh, uh, us up. We're pretty, yeah. We're pretty lucky to have Omer here for sure. And uh, I have my turret on my on my gun in mills, so mine's just or mine's actually in clicks. Sorry, and it just says that's C, what mine's clicks too. Yeah. C twenty three, and you turn your dial to twenty three, and she's bang on, and it's it's proven itself lots. You know, so we, all this like improvement in optics and shit in the last. 10 years when you first we first started talking about this little thing you said oh we used to pound the ground we used to pound the ground that was your method now do you think well look at like what swaro's done in the last few years like like the what are they coming out with now 115 objective lenses like kurt what is yours an 85 like that never used to be a spotting scope back then like 95s is becoming common so i feel like the 15s too no one carried 15 power binoculars around their fucking neck five years ago six no. years ago but i shouldn't say no one but no one in bc hunting sheep was doing it maybe the, guys the bird, in wyoming the, and the fucking the bird watchers were yeah the bird watchers yeah <laughs> so is that the reason you don't pound the ground as much too is because the optics got that much better that you're able to you know you might pick up more nowadays yeah well you know what and it, it it all depends on your planning right like you know some trips like the one we went into a, a lake and it was i think it was just about 80k to the next lake so you know we we had eight days ended up having because that was our third trip of that year yeah right and <laughs> and you know we could take so much time off right so i think we had eight days to get from one lake to the other day so we knew we had to do we knew we had to do 10k a day which was a little that's bit a much, lot right that's you know? a lot so it depends on it you know the chips nowadays like i learned lots on my last uh I started hunting with one of my buddies there. I don't really want to mention his name because I know he's not really big on the podcast stuff. But I went on a on a trip with a guy, lots of experience. You know, I mentioned him; he's killed sixty rams before or something like that. And you know, I remember hiking up onto this knob, and it's day one, right? And I'm like, oh, like okay, we're just gonna glass from here for the day. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, there's mountains everywhere. You can really good vantage points. And we we glassed up. I think I don't know twenty rams or something like that. And lots of lambs and ewes and you know wasn't really interested in them that much right and um, i remember okay day two we get up right and there's no water at this spot either so we had to pack all our water up there so i'm thinking like you know i want to eat some free have some soup but i'm not even eating soup because you know i don't want to use any of my water i said to him i'm like i think it was the morning of day three i said so like are we actually gonna like walk like like there's nice ridges like you know it's just a beauty spot i'm like are we just gonna walk he goes oh no no there's sheep on this mountain I'm like on the one we've been on for three days. Is this the one in NWT or? No, this? no, this is no. in a, a BC trip. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, we're sitting on, we're sitting on the, we're sitting on the, on the top there. And I said, well, are we going to like go and like, you know, and I looked down and I ended up seeing, I spotted the outfitter. He had a bow hunter. He was down quite a ways down. And I said, well, are we like, we're going to go down that way. He goes, oh no, no, no. There's like, we hadn't seen a, any sheep on the hill we were on. He goes, oh no, there's, there's rams on this hill we're on. I said, okay, right? So it was like the night of day three, right? We seen one ram, he popped his head up on a little knoll there. And he had, you know, such good Norton area. He knew that nobody could see this one cut, right? And he knows that the sheep hang out in there and you're just kind of waiting for him. They kind of just 
roll around this one mountain and and so on on day four yeah we seen there was there was i think 11 11 rams quite a few big rams too some nice big pigs on it and yeah yeah it was a and so you, you get to you get to do the difference where you see well we didn't have to even walk that far here and but you have to know where you're going so you have yeah. to do the research to to know where you're going to avoid after to walk it right the beginning trips when i talked about doing three trips here we uh yeah, wait, Never. before you even before you even dive into that, three trips in one year isn't normal fucking holiday <laughs> fucking time. Just so yeah. let just to let you know, like one fucking trip is hard for people to put in their life. When I heard someone's done two sheep hunts a year, I was like, nah, that's that's crazy. And he has a full time job. Yeah, yeah, he has a full three. What do you mean three? <laughs> yeah. a couple years i think i even did four probably, oh, fuck. you did not probably, no yeah, we, yeah. Did, we did three three years we did four and then most of the years we did three and that was pretty consecutive for quite a bit but it was the fact that it was you know i went hunting with kent we went into a walk-in area um i talked to a friend of mine Dwayne, who's been hunting for quite a few years and he'd been into you know eight or nine different spots right kind of got to understand the whole layout of the mountains you know where the where the cassiers are where the rockies are what rivers feed what areas what lakes are in what areas lots of research with plains figuring all that kind of stuff so we were trying to find a really good spot where we could go to so like i think that probably like the first 12 13 14 sheep hunts i went on we never went to the same place twice yeah right yeah, so going all over so you know every spot you go to is different you know some some you'd have to pound ground some you wouldn't you know the old guys say sit here and those are on known areas, right? You got, you got to find your known area, especially when you're coming into it. It's, it's a fact of talking to people, research off lakes. You know, we used to do so much research. We'd, we'd research, watch YouTube videos, which, you know, was not the greatest for smartest thing for people to do. Oh, I know. People like me can, that are diehards to this, will dissect that, right? I remember so you know, sitting on Google Earth, pausing YouTube videos, like laying out mountains to figure out where people are. And, We've done the same and, thing. Uh, I, I do it. I did it this uh, year. I got a couple like, spots. He's like, that video that we watched, he's like, where we thought they shot it from, it wasn't, man. I found the exact fucking spot. Yeah. And with like fat maps, we pumped that yeah. all the time. Fat maps and fucking sitting on your phone or laptop. And same thing, two screens up and you're like, yeah. this is where that fucking guy shot that sheep from. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. Well, because then you get to know, like, you know, you know what outfitter, and you can do your research. You can go out to them outfitters, figure out what their average lengths are, what their bases are at. You know, you're knowing where where big base sheep are coming out of versus smaller base sheep, right? With, you know, I find most areas that I find, you know, this when you have the smaller bases, usually you get a little bit more twisty. You know, not as yeah. heavy on broom side of the rounds and stuff. And I I actually like those sheep too. You know, I'm not a I'm not a huge like I want to kill a a 180 every all the time right like you know i like to have a couple variations of sheep i like i like big broom drams are my favorite but i also really like you know big twisters a twister, little bit yeah. tight curl you know which not very many people ever say but i like that big twister look you know i have one or you know two on the wall of them types right just a variation for what you want in your in your on your trophy yeah. side of it too right we kind of skipped over earlier i wanted to talk about you you actually suffered a pretty severe injury back in the day and i just like how you overcame that like it was i remember seeing you when you got out of the hospital man and like it was a pretty fucking scary time like i remember talking to you right away and like do you want to just touch on what happened and 
Like, I know you had a hunt coming up, too, and what you did to overcome, like, I'm talking a major fucking injury, so. Yeah. You know, we were we were actually talking about it there the other day, and I was trying to remember exactly which hunt it led up to my injury. So, my injury was uh, a workplace incident. Uh, I ended up getting uh, burnt from just below the old... Right by the nuts. Right by the nuts, <laughs> uh, right down to my feet uh, in uh, hot pulp, actually. So I, it was a burn, and I ended up uh, getting quite bad burns. We I flew to Vancouver to the burn unit. I spent about 10 days in the burn unit. You know, had all the, the blisters and then the scabs and the bandages and the, the silver blanket wraps and all that kind of stuff. It was a pretty traumatic experience, for sure. I remember being, like, so mad. And I'm, I'm kind of about 100% sure it was actually the hunt leading up to it was my NWT hunt. I think so, yeah. I think it was, yeah. So... I was, uh, you know, I knew I had a big hunt coming up. I was, so I was, you know, upset, like, oh my God, a hockey season that's coming up too, right? And, you know, we're back playing hockey. I'm right into that. You know, when you look at your legs and they're burnt, it's, it's a pretty scary thing, right? I remember feeling pretty sorry for myself and had another guy. Went to see the burn doctor one day and had another guy that was in there. And I remember looking over at him and he was like, you know, really badly burnt, uh, facial burns, no nose, no ears, no mouth, no eyebrows, no nothing like pretty much. And they were, they'd scalp him, uh, I think once a month, they'd, uh, scalp him and then they'd do his, uh, what do they call him? Skin grafts with yep. the, with the scalp skin, because when you're burnt where your hair follicle comes out of your leg, it'll grow a little white dot. And then all those little white dots, they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger till they grow together. And then that's how your skin grows, right? So on a scalp, why, why they scalped them from what I was told, and you know, obviously I could be wrong, but from my best understanding was, is they were scalping them because you have closer hair follicles than say taking a chunk off your ass. Well, maybe Devin's chunk off his ass might have lots of hair, but you know, not everybody's does. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, so that was leading up to that. I remember thinking, okay, I'm like, poor me poor me and then i seen this guy and poor poor him i was thinking and i didn't really feel so sorry for myself and then i came out of it and just stayed positive through it all and uh you know my wife did lots of stuff with me i was pretty laid up on the couch for quite a while and work was good you know i worked from home i actually didn't take any time off work but saved it just, for his four fucking trips a year yeah, that's was, why <laughs> yeah. I was still still quoting jobs and stuff at, at home. Time management, like eh? Waylon's got good yeah. time management skills. <laughs> yeah, it was it was good for sure. So then I ended up coming out of it, and you know my legs healed up fairly good. I don't really have a whole bunch of problems. A little bit of scarring down down in my ankle areas, but uh, it was definitely scary. And you know that doesn't bug me that much. It'll bug me a little bit sheep hunting. You know, uh, you know scratches and and bug bites like. Now my skin's a little bit more sensitive, so I can yeah. tell when there's a mosquito on your legs at, at camp or whatever. And I usually take shorts. Like, um, if if I'm, I've been wearing jeans all or beer and pants all day, I'll come back to camp. I'm a shorts guy yeah. right away, right? Usually hop in the river, too. Like yeah. I, yeah. So when you... How far out from your trip, and were you fully healed going on a trip that year? Or were you yeah, still... Yeah, yeah. No, I went into the NWT and killed... Me and a friend of mine, he was guiding up there and he actually had a, he was his, I think it was his fifth or sixth year. So he got a, a guide sheet there. So we ended up getting dropped off in the NWT and, and we killed two rams that year. And that was, that was, I was healed up enough to go where I didn't get any blisters. I'm not a blisters guy. 
I don't really know what it's about. Like I've, I went with my partner, Mike, and he's about as tough as nails, right? And they get back to camp and we go around the fire and take our boots off. And I look down at his feet and their white socks completely blood red. I'm like, whoa, man, like, did you cut yourself? Oh, no, I got a couple blisters. Like, never whines on the way. Like, I, my feet hurt or anything you know, like that. That guy's like, fucking... He's tough. He's next nails, level. Um, yeah, he's... Well, he fucking did it with a bad hip. Like... You can't even imagine, yeah. Oh, I yeah. can touch base on it a little later, but, yeah, you can't even imagine. Yeah. Can so... You, uh, yeah, you're going to dive into the... I was thinking the N- NWT hunt. I kind of want to... Well, we got... You're going to tell a story later, I think, about maybe a BC hunt, but... Uh, if yeah, unless the, you, the, do you have more questions about the injury, Kurt? No, 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 no. Yeah, dive uh, into the NWT hunt. Yeah, because well, that's a that's a pretty cool hunt by the sounds of it. So yeah, it was a good hunt. That. You know, um, growing up in Quinell here, right? We we me and Kurt both grew up with Johnny. You know, good friends before I really even remember Johnny hunting for me. Mm-hmm. But he's always been a hunter. We killed a couple. We actually both lived in Kelowna together for quite a few ten years or something like that. We killed a, he killed a nice mule deer. We were hunting there a little bit and stuff like that. Then he kind of went away guiding for quite a bit. And and then I ended up going on this Kent's trip and he knew I was into hunting. And um, I killed one ram, one BC stone sheep before I went on the NWT hunt, which I ended up killing it with Mike there. And uh, so Johnny kind of knew I was into sheep hunting and, you know, everybody wants to kill a doll sheep. And, and the NWT was like a dream come true. And, you know, and I can only thank Stan Simpson enough with Ramhead Outfitters. We ended up going up there and I got a cancellation hunt, which was fairly affordable for me at that time. Right. And, uh, I remember, I think it was booked there. We had booked it and then I got burnt and then I was scared about it. And then it ended up all working out. So we went up there and Johnny had phoned me from up there actually. And he said, Hey man, there's a cancellation hunt. Let's, uh, can you uh, book this hunt? And I, I said, yeah, you know what? So I talked to Stan and I thought, okay, I had to cancel on going on a stone sheep hunt for the opener with my partner who had took me into about five good areas right it was kind of <laughs> but he was really good about it he understood it so ended up going up to the nwt he said you got to come up here because i get a sheep too and and todd blew it i don't know who all knows him but a good friend Daddy. of ours a good yeah. good sheep hunter he was up there uh working also so it was pretty sweet we ended up uh going in there was the three of us johnny myself and todd and we got flown in too. So we fly into Norman Wells, right? So I ended up booking it all on air miles to save money because, you know, being a working guy and not, it's yeah. expensive, right? I think I, I can't remember what it was, but it, it wasn't that bad, but it was, it was enough money where you ended up booking the trip on air miles. So I ended up, I think I flew from Prince to Edmonton and then Edmonton to Norman Wells and got out in Norman Wells. I remember the hotel room was like, I can't remember what it was. It was like 300 bucks a night or something like that. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I get in this hotel room and I'm like, and ready to go. And, and the weather's the shits, right? So I spent that night in the thing. So I remember he texts me, he goes, yeah, weather's bad. Maybe tomorrow. Right. So and I'm thinking 300 bucks for the hotel room, right? And I got paid on the hotel room, which is peanuts when everybody talks about going on an NWT hunt. But I was like, holy. And like you go for dinner, it's like 50 bucks for like steak and potatoes or whatever, yeah. right? So I, I ended up getting another hotel room. I didn't get flown out. So I think I got flown. I stayed, spent two nights in Norman Wells, and then we got flown in. Um, Stan picked me up on in the helicopter, actually, at the airport in Norman Wells, and then we flew in. So he gave me the tour, like, over the, uh, I think it was called the Keel River. I don't know anything there, about yeah, that area. So, so we got me the flown the tour. 
So he got me the flow and the two, the, and then told me all the, the stuff about, like, the stuff that happened back there. I think it was prepping for the World War II. They plowed some roads over, which is pretty oh. mind-blowing to look at. And, and there's a trail that goes through there and stuff. And so I landed in camp and seen Johnny. And, like, literally, like, the helicopter, like, came out. And there's an older fellow there, like, really experienced sheep hunter. And Johnny's getting stuff ready, and he goes, you come with me. So the first thing I did is, like, got out of the helicopter, like, ran over, and they're like, okay, shoot your gun. Right, so bang, my gun was bang on, which was good, didn't take any time, and like literally, I think it was like 15 minutes later, and poof, I remember starting to unpack my stuff. He's like, "Don't unpack nothing." So he started throwing shit in the helicopter. He's like, "We're out of here." Right, so again, it was like literally didn't even spend a night at base camp. So we, I flew in right in the helicopter straight up to Spike Camp, and we flew into. I'm pretty sure the place. It's been a while, but I'm pretty sure it's called Bog Strip, is what they called it, and it was like. You know, a big, long, long valley and lots of mountains on the other side. And I don't think they had put a hunter in there in quite a while. I think it was more of an area that he kind of put the hunters. He knew that Johnny was coming there and he knew it was me and Todd, right? So it was a spot he wanted to put us where Johnny could could get his guide sheep in there. And you really had to pound ground. Like, you know, it wasn't easy hunting. Like everybody says you go to NWT and Johnny's the exact way of that, right? Like... I think Omer had a pretty easy one. And I remember Omer saying, oh, it's easy or whatever. It was not easy for me. He never made anything easy about it, right? <laughs> so it was it was a, a grueling long day. So we flew in and then you got to wait. I think it's 24 hours we had to wait or something 12, like that. 12, 12 hours. There, yeah. yeah, so we flew in. Megan, Megan flew us in, dropped us off. And uh, we set up camp. We filled up a bunch of water. We ate some mountain hosts. We slept. Actually glassed, I think, some sheep, lots of, quite a few lambs and ewes right from where we, where we spike camped up. And, you know, we're in there for, I think it was a 10-day hunt or something like that. So it was day one. We said, oh, we're just going to have an easy day today. So we, we wake up in the morning and we, uh, we load up and we pack up. We just grab one mountain house each. That's it. No lunch. We just, because, like, they got bags. Like, you're looking, now you got chicken fajitas, right? So I'm pumped. I got chicken fajitas, right? So, <laughs> so we, we just took one mountain house. We said, oh, we're just going to go up here. We'll get some vantage and we'll glass and see what's in. Because there's little draws off of the valley everywhere, right? So we got to a spot where you could see up, like, four or five of them. Glass, see what's in there. See what we're going to chase, right? And and we ended up seeing a nice band of rams. I think there was four of them in there, but one was really heavy. And we could, you know, zoomed in on his bases. He was nice and heavy. So we pounded. It was about, I think it was about six or seven hours down to him or something like that. And we get down to him and he was a really nice ram. He was, uh, he ended up being uh, 13 years old was what we put him at. And he was a big double broom, but he's broomed quite a ways back. And at that point, I wasn't super big into broom drams like I am now like big broom drams like I, I wanted like that doll sheet that twisted cranked right up the handy twister the handy <laughs> twister yeah so I wanted one of them so I actually passed it up and I, I didn't know much about how they like the guide rams situation right they want the guide rams to kill those big old broom drams that you know the people that come in that are rookies like the way I'm talking right is I didn't want to kill it because I wanted that twister well most people that come in want that twister so yeah you know you want to take those old rams out of the out of the thing they're done at 13 years old anyway right so it's a perfect guide ram is what I got explained to it so yeah I remember saying to Johnny well I'm going to pass on this but like in and like at that point at camp and stuff they'd explained to me this what a guide ram should be like right so I said oh I said well 
kill it. Like, and he wouldn't kill it. Right. <laughs> and we're like good buddies. Like he's guiding me, but like, like we're like buddies. Right. And I'm like, go, oh, like, go fuck yourself. Like kill this round. It's right there. He's, I'm like, would you, if, would you kill this after I killed mine? Cause now I'm feeling bad. Right. Like he yeah. phoned me. I'm, and he's passing on a, the perfect, like it's a nice 13 year old. It's heavy. Right. And, uh, he's like, Oh, I'm not fucking shooting it till you shoot yours. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like, and I'm thinking, thinking we just walked for like eight hours and there's like a perfect sheep right here. So I'm thinking about killing it. Right. And he goes, well, if you wouldn't have killed it when you first looked at it, he goes, we're not killing it. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, so I, he's like, no, you're not killing it now. Cause he knew it. I wouldn't be happy with that because it wasn't what I wanted. Right. Yeah. Cause at that point I'm like, I look back like as far as you can see. And I look back and think, okay, well, like I'm just going to kill this round. And he's like, no, you're not. And he, he wouldn't let me kill, which was really awesome of him. Now that you look back at it. So we ended up glassing for like another, I don't know, it was getting damn near like, I don't know, it had to be like five o'clock or six o'clock that night. Something, it was re- really late and we'd glass for a couple more hours. We located some sheep, um, nothing really that we we're going off of. And, and it, so we're, we're like literally like, I think we actually already put our packs on and started walking back to camp. And you know, like that thing where you, you always think you should just be looking the way you're going, right? Mm-hmm. Well, these guys, like, you know, I'm looking where we're going to see what's came off the mountains down, and, and they're looking everywhere, right? So, and Todd actually, I think, spotted them, I'm pretty sure. And they were like, I don't know, it must have been like 15 miles away. And there's like nine rams, and one's heavy, and they're just like, I'm thinking, okay, like, we're going to set up camp and go after these in the morning, and they're like, no, get your boots on. And I'm yeah. like... Like, we just hiked for eight hours. Like, I'm tired, you know, kind of not really super experienced in the sheep hunting. Like, I kind of am now. And I'm like, and they're like, no, put your boots on. We're going, we're going to get a look at these rounds. So then we pounded it. And in NWT up there, it doesn't get dark. Like, I think it got dark at three in the morning. Yeah. Right? So, so like, and you're hiking another eight hours, right? And I'm bagged now, right? And we finally get down to these rounds and we, we throw a spotter on them from like a mile away. And there's a, just a nice beauty in there right so it's up on the right hand side there's about seven or eight sheep seven or eight rams in there there's a couple probably four legals or something like that a couple eight-year-olds i think there was a 10-year-old and there's the one that i i really liked he was nice and heavy you know really nice ram so i said okay yeah johnny goes that you're, you're killing this round like this is this is the ram we're killing right here so we hiked up there and it was a long hike up to a couple hours, two and a half hours or something like that. And there was a bunch of like little rolly hills and he was in the bottom of a hill. And I remember thinking, oh, like we just hiked all up here. And now he's gone. He ran over the top or something, right? Like, And Johnny just like, just lay down, just lay down, right? And and then we ended up spotting him. He was, you know, down in the gully and came up after half an hour. Like if I wouldn't have had a, you know, an outfitter or a buddy there that was experienced enough, I probably would have turned around and been mad thinking he went over the top and started going back to camp. Right. But he's like, just sit here, you know, sit here for an hour and we'll see what comes out of these little pops. Right. And so he, he came out of the pop there. I remember lining up on him and I ended up taking that round. It was a nice broadside shot. I think it was at like, I don't even know, maybe like 60 feet or 70 feet or something yeah. like that. Right. And killed that round. And I, I shot that round, I think it was at 12.30 at night, and it was completely daylight. Yeah. So then we, you know, now I'm thinking, like, because in my mind, like, I had the stone sheep I had killed before that. I'm always, like, I always was afraid of getting stuck on the mountain that night, right? Like, yeah. you know, I always want to get back down, to, and we got get stuck. Get back to the tent. Get back to the tent, yeah. right? 
And, you know, the first stone I killed before this, we got stuck on the mountain and it rained all night. And we had, like, literally laying in your rain gear face down on the thing all night, thunder, lightning, you know. And we didn't die, so you're okay, right? But yeah. in your mind up there, and I remember saying to him, like, I, I almost wanted to rush all the pictures. I'm like, we got to get this thing, like, you know, cake, freaking meat in the packs, and let's, like, we got to make it back to camp tonight. And they were kind of, like, looking at me, like, yeah, we're not making it back to camp tonight, right? Yeah. You know, so... So he's like, no, we're taking our time. We want good pictures and all that stuff, right? So we spent like two and a half hours of pictures. And I remember, and I'm hungry, right? Because we had only took one mountain house. And we ate that for lunch like at noon. And now it's midnight. Yeah. So we just hiked another 15 miles. No food. We're starving, right? So, you know, everyone's kind of, and I'm thinking, I got to get back to camp because that's where the food is. So I remember, so we got that ram all, all packed up and we came off the mountain. We got down to the bottom of the mountain and, uh, we just lied in a creek bed and, and went to sleep. Like, I think we slept an hour. If that, I don't even think, I think I actually slept a bit. I don't think anybody else did. Todd snored. Todd slept for sure. <laughs> Todd was snoring logs. But uh, then we got up in the morning and, and now it's, now it's game on time, right? Like now I've already killed my ram and that, that 13 year old sitting there, that nice double broomder, right? So we're like, Hey Johnny, it's your turn. Let's kill this sucker. Right? So, we hiked, hiked all that day. That's the next day. Like, we left at 8 in the morning. Went, killed my ram at midnight. Got off the mountain at, like, 5 in the morning. Slept an hour. Now we had to go up the other side. And remember, we've only ate a mountain host at noon that day. Right? So, we call all the way up the other side. We, it's like a, a peaked ridge. And he's on the ridge at the end of it. Right? So, we're like, we're coming down it. We're coming down it. Down it. Down it. Down it. Finally ended up finding that ram. Johnny ends up killing that ram. So, then we process that ram and we're while we're processing that ram there's a nice big pack of wolves coming right up the creek draw to the bottom right mm -hmm. so we ended up killing a nice big wolf too on that trip it was a nice big huge wolf yeah it was just a beauty and uh so we we finally get back down to the river bottom or the creek bottom so we got johnny's ram in his pack mine's already down at the creek bottom in my pack i didn't pack my pack up when johnny killed his so we had to go get the wolf. So then we skinned the wolf out. So now we got a wolf hide. We got two full sheep, right? And then, and we got three of us. So we split it all up, added to our packs. And I think we were 23 and a half, 24K back to base camp, to, yeah. to spike camp. Where you get picked up. Yeah. And we still haven't eaten. So, you know, finally I'm like, you know, getting aggravated. Like they fall asleep on, so once we get the, all three down on the thing, because we only slept an hour, they go to sleep. And I'm like just pumped with adrenaline, right? Like and I'm sitting there like there's no chance I'm sleeping, right? Like so I'm sitting there and I'm watching them. I let them sleep for like an hour, right? So if I finally get mad. I'm like, can we fucking like make it? Like I'm starving. Can we make it back to freaking camp now? And so I woke them up, right? So they kind of ignored me for a little bit, right? But I finally got a little bit mad actually. And I'm like, I'm like, would you guys fucking get up? Like I want to get back to camp. Like I'm starting to get like a little bit of anxiety with me. Like I got no food. I'm like famished right and they're like oh jesus fucking they roll over light a fire we grab like tenderloins we eat like half a sheep leg like, yeah literally we chowed like, we just had like hot dogs like ho like hot dog sticks right like wieners yeah. and we just keep putting chunks on there and we just sat by the fire we actually got some wicked pictures of it we sat there and ate a whole bunch and then we all said okay i'm sorry for getting mad at you right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was just hangry like, oh, i, I was just, just needed hangry, a snickers right? So we ate like a ton of sheep. Like, and if anybody's ate sheep, like Dude, it's unreal. There is nothing, nothing like that. We it's ate so the good. sheep ribs, it's and so we, like same thing happened to us. We killed my ram last year, and I'm like, "Well, let's start collecting wood because we're not making it back to the fuck." We dumped all our fucking stuff out, 
and just took basically bare bags and necessities. That was it. We didn't have so let me, that that trip. So now we we finally have eight, and I got these guys up, and okay, now we're now we're twenty six k back to camp or whatever, right? Yeah. So I I remember that, and and NWT were in that that bog strip in the bottom. It's got like I don't want to say the word, but I don't know what the other word is, but like. Right, oh yeah, <laughs> but like they're like that's what they call them up there, I guess. Yeah, right? yeah. and they're like they're like stacks of stacks of like dirt, and there's like holes all the way around them. So you got to walk on the tops of them all the time, and like that heavy of packs, all of a sudden you get your what foot off it? the side and you'd fall right over, right? Yeah. So it was like a and they were they were heavy packs, right? And, and I'm like Johnny, I'm like I freaking paid for this. Like we have a helicopter, like. Why do we got to hike 26 kilometers back to camp? And I still, to this day, actually really think that he could have phoned and got us picked up where we were at, right? <laughs> yeah. Because Omer opened his mouth and said that all oh, these hunts are easy. It was not easy. Yeah. So it was 26K back to base camp that day. It took all day. And I think, I think we were 47 and a half hours with one hour of sleep from when we left camp to when we get back to camp. And that was the, oh, we're just going to have an easy day today. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah. So that was an eye opener on conditioning, and that's when that's when everything got where I realized, okay, like you got to be conditioned because this could happen. You can't worry about getting stuck on the mountain if it's four o'clock and you see a ram and you can kill it that night. Go after it and kill it. Right? Yeah, definitely. Like I used to get messages from Johnny, yeah, three in the morning, just kill the fucking mass like a booner, and I like wake up in the morning, I'm like, what the fuck? And then it's like, oh, it's fucking daylight all day up there, right? Yeah. And then, that's wild, man. It's yeah. That sounds like a fucking trip of a lifetime, though, too. Well, it was, and you know what? I, I made a huge mistake, right? When I was up there, I think it would have cost me four thousand dollars to kill a caribou, right? Oh, yeah, and they're like monster monsters, fucking right? caribou. And it was like right in the right time. Like it wasn't the beginning of the year. It was like yeah. you know they'd already dropped their velvet. Like they're just like hard horned yeah, and ready to and go. Oh. I got good coats on them, and. uh I felt so guilty about bailing on my buddy on the opener to, to go do this hunt. Because yeah. I said, the only reason I said no to it, it had zero to do with the dollars. It was because Dwayne's texting me, like, I literally, like, I flew in from NWT. I had one day at home, and we were back in the, on the truck, back up, flying in on a flying hunt, yeah. right? on a stone sheep hunt. <laughs> so that that was a big mistake. Like, I should have just stayed up there, and, and if you can do that, just stay up there and, oh, and enjoy man. the whole 10 days. Because I think I was really... That's a once in a lifetime. Once, hunt, time, right? once in a lifetime opportunity, and I really think I only spent four days in there. Yeah. Right. Not four days of hell. <laughs> yeah. Well, four days total. Like in one yeah, was four. Like we, four we days of hell, and you you killed fucking two beautiful doll sheep and a giant wolf. I mean, it's still four days of hell well spent. Yeah. Definitely. And the age that you get, like the the sheep I killed, aged out at fourteen years old, and Johnny's aged out at thirteen years old. So. Yeah. We went up there and killed the wolf and the 14 and 13 year old in one day. Yeah. Basically is what happened. <laughs> and it wasn't like, like, it's not like, like you think NWT, like, oh, okay, there's gotta be sheep on every mountain. There's not. Yeah. Like, th- it's not like that. It's not much different. Than, you still have to hunt. You still have to hunt them. Yeah. Like we hunted those, like we earned those sheep for sure. It's Definitely. not like they're everywhere that you can see and that you fly around in a helicopter and find them. They they never flew that area. They had no idea there was any, even a sheep in there. Yeah. They didn't know. I remember Johnny saying that they haven't been in there for years. Yeah. And they're just kind of like, well, it hasn't been touched, so you know that the chance of something's got to be in there. Yeah. yeah. So moving on now, like you you did obviously flying hunts, but now it's all about the jet boat, eh? Like 
you did a couple trips jet boat and then you end up buying your own uh let's touch on jet boat sheep hunting because i know that's that's something i want to get into personally that's and just to get a boat period right something that you can fish out of hunt out of it's kind of like a one or not a one trick pony you can kind of do everything wave eh? like yeah just get how you how you got into it and the preparation that goes into getting a boat because you're you guys are going way the fuck up these rivers like they're not rivers they're fucking creeks now yeah so just dive into that a little bit yeah so basically you know we we got into jet boat hunting and, and it started intriguing intriguing me because when you're when you're figuring out sheep hunting, you know you, you get a buddy who knows a couple spots, a couple lakes to go into. You know you go on Earth's list, you look at every lake he's did, you Google every lake that he's got on there, try figuring out where stuff is. You know, and and with with flying hunting, it wasn't the money at the at that time. It, it definitely would come into consideration now because the price of flying hunts are are so expensive nowadays. But but it was a fact that is that you know we were hunting them typical lakes that get a lot of pressure like you know the Moody the Colt well, the Cook the when you flew the, into uh, was it Cook the one time there was fucking people everywhere or Colt Colt yeah there was fucking uh, people everywhere yeah I think the one time I flew into there was nine groups in there when oh. we flew in there right like See, that would just fucking drive me crazy it drives you crazy a little bit right and you know you know going into these places that are well hunted you know. They're well hunted for a reason. There is sheep in there, and it, it it is a good spot to go. You will see a lot of sheep in those in those Cassiar Mountain stuff, but they're so pressured, and there's so many people in there, right? So we started trying to get the, a reverse philosophy that I don't know if it really works or not, but we started thinking, okay, we're going to go where nobody else goes, and we don't even really know there's a sheep there. Instead of going and seeing... You know, we come back say, oh yeah, we've seen 300 sheep, right? Like I went yeah. on some trips where I know like really big sheep has came out of and I didn't know it till after, but in that area, we didn't even know there was a sheep in there. And you know, if we seen four sheep, we were, that was a good trip, right? All yeah. the areas we went to, but you have those areas that are pressured more. They don't, they end up not getting age in them yeah. and we were into getting aged sheep, right? So they, you know, when the time they hit nine, ten years old, they're usually killed in those high pressure areas. So I started getting the philosophy where I'm going to go where nobody else goes so that I can get some age out of some sheep, right? Yep. And that's where we kind of started getting into jet boating, basically what it was. I ended up going on a, a sheep hunt with a friend of mine, Jason Earl. Uh, and actually what ended up happening is I ended up buying his boat after after this trip. And he ended up building another one, which was fairly similar to mine. But uh, we went on a on a trip and ended up getting into a spot that I didn't even see another fire pit, didn't see nothing, and it was no know, man's land. All researched, uh, all researched long long ways up the river. It was uh, up the Kachika Valley. We went a long ways up the river and and got to an area that I didn't really actually feel anybody was in there ever. Yeah. Uh, honestly, never seen nothing. Never seen a an evidence of somebody being in there. A trail. We never found a trail. Nothing. We found a creek draw off the river. And went up the creek draw for, you know, three days to get back in there. I think we were, you know, 85K in when we ended up hunting sheep when we got into the mountains. Like long, you know, we put the, we put the miles in to get where nobody else goes. And uh, so we ended up having a su- successful hunt there. I'll touch base on that hunt at the end here. But uh, then I got into jet boating. We started, you know, paying attention to jet boating. And my one partner in town here, he ended up buying an 18-foot alley craft of the 200 sport jet in it and we went on a couple trips up to turn again and we went a couple up the musqua and so when you're when you're looking at 
size of boats like so let's just kind of touch on that a little bit like yeah. technical that way so kurt kind of mentioned he wants to get a boat i mean i i'm a welder fabricator by trade i mean i weld aluminum now i'm building my own quad trailers and you see these kitted boats these two men i don't know 12 14 footers now guys are running then you see the full lumacrafts and all and i don't know a lot about the jet boating brands if you wanted to buy one and you were looking for size that you could fish out of and you could still use as a family fishing boat but also take it into these areas into these rivers and into that wild country that it is small enough and, and the right kind of draft and everything is there a, have you found a sweet spot just with your experience from talking to all these guys and doing your thing or do you have to go micro and you have to have a, a bigger boat for the other things no there's a there's a split there um my boat's a 14 foot seven firefish um and it's a a snapper so it, it goes in you know it's small it's it's got quite a bit of horsepower for a 14 footer um goes in really shallow water bulletproof built and smash them off rocks like i can tell you some pretty crazy stories about where we go but there's those boats that get you way back right and then there's I wish a lot of times that I didn't have my boat. Like, you know, you run the, the Fraser, the Quinnell River, you know, basically you can run the whole entire Kachika. You know, the Frog's pretty good till you get way up it. The Turnigan's a nice river to run. They're all nice rivers that you don't need those boats to run up unless you, you get way up one. them, right? Yeah. Like, you know, we're winching ours over waterfalls and up waterfalls with chain falls and all kinds of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. To get way back, but... But those, like I like the 18s to 21s for an overall boat, right? 21 might be a little bit big, but you'd really like it. You know, moose, moose hunting. hunting, you can haul more weight in and out. You know, your combo hunts, like basically my boats, you know, I will take my boat on a two-man moose hunt and kill a moose on the way out with it. And, you know, it can pack the weight, no problem. But, but like those bigger boats really excel when you're going on, like, you know, you want to go up for a multi-species hunt where, where sheep's open, goats are open, you got moose open, elk open, you know, you go in there, set up some wall tents with a bunch of buddies and, you know, have been having a relaxing hunt. Those our boats are quite a bit better, I find, than the small ones. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they're porpoisey, you know, there's problems with that. You know, we have to put trim nozzles on our smaller boats to get them from porpoising in the big waters and stuff like that and sometimes we'll put wedge tabs in the back of them which will keep your front end down put a little bit down more pressure. Right? Yeah. yeah and you know there's lots of knowledgeable people out there like the the fellow in prince george there claude with uh i think it's excel or exact welding exact welding exact yeah. welding yeah he's a he's a knowledge like knows so much about them builds really nice big boats too nice big sidewall boats so it's basically about what you want like Ideally, I would like to, me personally, I'd like to have my 14 foot seven. I love it because I, I wrap bag it and I take it, I take it up like low water stuff and get way back farther than other people do. And I would like to probably, me, I would have like to have like a 21 foot, like a, a hammerhead or yeah. something like that for running the, my, my multi-species hunts and, and going up to Fraser and the Quinnell and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And what, going uh, out on lakes and going fishing yeah, and shit. Yeah. That's what I what, want, right? You're 14 foot, like, which is basically your back, we'll just call it your backcountry jet boat. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's the minimum water that you can run it? And have you, have you run it in like something like that? Oh, it's crazy. Uh, you know, sometimes you're like, I, I would think you could run it in a couple inches probably in full oh. step, right? It's when you, when you, when you, <laughs> You, you hit the, like you hit the edges or something like that and you stop and you don't have then you're pushing down till you find a little back eddy that you can get up and running right and 
Yeah, they can run in real skinny stuff. You can hit, think you're hitting rocks, you don't hit rocks. You know, going up rivers completely different of going down river. Yeah, like going up rivers like way better than coming down yeah. river. And especially when you start getting some slope in your rivers, like when you get up in the mountains and you run way up in the skinny stuff. Usually they got quite a bit of elevation changes in the rivers. Mm-hmm. So to stay on step coming down river when the river's going forty k too, you know now you're. You're well, cooking it right, and you screw up and scratch a sidewall. You know you're, you're ten feet on shore or whatever, right? So it, it all it all it all plays in a different ways for sure. Yeah, learning how to read the rivers is a fucking super like a skill that a guy needs. Yeah. You know, I've been out a few times. I've been out with you. I've been out with a couple other guys, and you know, like the guy that's driving the boat, you have to be turned on hundred yeah. percent the whole time. Like, there's no fucking around when you're on the river. And your spotter beside you, like, there's no quiet, quiet, like, we don't like to be quiet like that. Like, you're not just yelling rock. You're pointing where the rock is. Yeah. So that, so that, you know, because he says rock. Well, yeah, I'm looking at 20 feet of river ahead of me. Where's the rock? And then you're glassing side by side and not seeing it, right? So I find with us, we point where the rock is so that now when I'm driving, I can see where the rock is. And, you know, you can spot rocks way easier going up, right? Than coming down. down. Than coming down for sure. So, you know, you're, and you're getting to know where your rocks are. We rock a GPS system, too, where it'll show me my river track going up. Your line, yeah. Which sometimes is good and sometimes it's not. Like, sometimes uh, coming up, you think you went up the right raw, but coming down, it's not very nice either, yeah. right? Like, you know, <laughs> you know, so... And, and learning how to run, run the rivers, like, you know, um, learning to read the edges. Like, if you got sharp, jagged rocks on shore, you probably have sharp, jagged rocks in the water. Yeah. Right. If you got nice big, like you know, just cobblestone boulders on the side, but it's not really, it's kind of flat. Then you know that it's going to be shallow in that area. So you kind of get to to figure out like if one bank's steep and one bank's you know gradual flatter, you know where the steep channel side. is, right? Yeah. And then there's there's the you know everything from the beaver dams to the log jams and stuff. Like there's a one pretty sketchy. Well, it's not really sketchy, but there's a log jam like when you go up the Musqua that sometimes isn't even cut out when you go in there right so you're in there cutting the trail out and not knowing you're cutting the right trail not knowing what's ahead of you and you know so you pay attention to that like last year we we probably ran three wrong channels last year when we went up to Moscow we went up there on an elk hunt we ran and we were trying to run all the way up there and uh ended up taking the wrong channels and we ended up just looking off to the side and I seen a fresh power sawed log yeah so somebody cut a path and we like, you know, you run up and you get stuck in the log jams. You can't go any farther and you know, you're stuck. You got to yep. push, get out and get back going. And ended up just noticing that somebody had a fresh cut log and just kind of dipped around there and boom, open up a channel and they cut that channel out. And there's always one through yeah. somewhere in there, right? Just picking the right. The one yeah. we did last year was completely dry. <laughs> so like, you know, now we're looking at the track and I'm, I'm watching the track going up there where I went up there last year and, you know, start going over here and. He's like, why would you go over here? I'm like, well, that's where the track we went last year. And there's like no water. They just come around the corner. Like, yeah. Now you're stuck. Right? <laughs> yeah. What, so, uh, sorry, what, how much fuel does a guy got to pack? Because I, I know Garrick, when they went, like, they had a fuck ton. So, like, yeah. roughly, how do you gauge it? And how did, like, obviously experience and knowing what you burnt? So, but. basically, um, what I did is I, I, I touched out to some friends of Jason's there that had, you know, quite a bit of mileage marks on each of the rivers, like, you know, 
from Souk's Landing to the Turnigan, it's this far. Basically what we found in my boat, which is at 14 foot seven with uh, 200 in it, that I'm basically 1.2 liters per kilometer going up and I'm 0.8 of a liter, a liter a kilometer coming out. So we average it out at one liter per kilometer river run. Yeah. So when we started figuring out, we'd, you know, take the ruler on Google Earth or, or fat maps or whatever and map it all out and figure it out. But, you know, you're looking at, you're always a little bit out there because it shows you where the river was when they took that picture. Like the mm. river could be 20 feet. The river changes every all year. The, every year yeah. it does, right? So you get to know that. So basically we take take that much river or that much uh, fuel up, up the rivers. Um, so... The last trip that we went up, I think we took about 850 liters of fuel. And yeah. I, I'd run these uh, pull tag plastics out of Fort St. John. He custom builds your fuel tanks up there. They're nice and tall. And basically, we, we use those in my boat. There's no chairs or nothing, no seats, nothing like that. So we right just out. put all the jugs behind us and they sit, you know, so you can basically just sit down on them. Sometimes we take a, a couple cushions and even put them on there because they're, you know, we're running the river for 10 hours sometimes, like long, long trips, yeah. right? It's a long day on the first run up. So for fuel buys, basically what we do is my, my boat's got a 150 liter tank built in it. And then we have all the jerry can fuel. So you're, when you get up on step at the beginning, when you're heavy like that, there's some tricks to getting up on step. Like, um, you'll obviously get up on step going downstream faster than going upstream. Mm -hmm. And Getting close to shore, which kind of seems when you're first figuring it out, you think it's a little bit different, but getting close to shore helps you be able to get up on step faster. So sometimes when you launch like at Souk's Landing, we'll run up and down the shore bank a couple times and then get a nice sharp turn in without, you know, blowing a donut and we'll come right back down right tight to shore until and going down river until we can get up on step and then we'll curl out on step and and start heading up to the yard and then head up the Kachika. So that's your heaviest moment with pack and fuel. So we'll run. I basically don't want to stop and try and get back on step when I'm that heavy. Yeah, I was going to, I was actually going to ask like, that's, is that strategy? Like once you're on step, unless it's yeah. a log jam, you're staying on step. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to stop when you're that heavy. It just burns fuel. takes forever. You know, you could get in a faster water section. So once we get on step, I'll burn that whole 150 out. Oh, okay. So, so I'll burn that 150 out to when I'm, you know, not, not where I'm going to run out of fuel, but I'm down on low. And then what I do is I stop and mark it on the GPS where I'm storing the fuel at that point on the river. And uh, I'll drop. So I, my boat will take my jerry cans are 60 liters. And usually I got about 20 left in the tank. So I'll put two 60 liters of fuel back into my main tank at that point. So now I got two empty jugs. So I'll take my two empty jugs and I'll take one full fuel jug, like one full 60. And I take that and I put that out. So I, I drop two empties and I drop one full at my first fuel drop. Oh yeah. Right. So now I've yeah, got yeah. now, now versus my original weight, I'm three, three sixties are gone out of my boat. One storage for coming back out because now I'll stop there on my way back out, pick the two empty jugs up because they're, they're expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and hope to hell no grizzly bear got it to your fuel, which has happened before to us. But anyway, so then, and then you put that one coming out. You always know you got that fuel back coming out, right? So then I'll do that again, run another one, another full tank out, drop two empties, fill one up. And then basically after that, that's enough fuel for me to get out. 
and what's left I keep for the rest of the trip in there, basically, and we'll fuel up when we have to. If you ran out of fuel on the way up, you'd be able to drift back to fuel, you figure? Yeah, yeah. You'd want to leave some for corners and stuff like that. Like, you know, you get some 90s, some rock shelves and stuff where you'd have to fire it up. It would take a long time, you know, obviously, for sure. But it's definitely possible. You always have it in your your back pocket. And and we're lucky. I don't know how it is in Alaska and the Yukon and stuff, but pretty much all our rivers were running the the good way, right? So you can float out. Like, you know, if you drop in the Quinell here or in the Fraser River in Quinell here, and you go south and it's run out of fuel. Up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not, you know, this you river's going the, the other river. way. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, you always go up. <laughs> so, like, I know the Kachikas, like, all the rivers are like that. Souks Landing's at the end of it, right? Where, and uh, Cleto Creek's at the other end of the Musqua, too, right? So. so, besides fuel prep and, like, how much experience, knowledge, I mean, this has been a, gr- a great little segment, I think, for anyone that was getting into this environment or just wanting to touch on it. What else do you do? What do you pack a few extra key items in a jet boat when you're doing this stuff? Well, there's, there's, I pack a spare impeller, which, uh, you just have a spare impeller. You have to get a socket, um, that fits that impeller nut. So you can change it on the fly. If you had to change your impeller on the fly, I have changed my impeller on the fly, but it didn't fix the problem. So I don't really know if that was even worth it, but it is possible to change an impeller on the fly. Um, some people pack, pack spare wear rings for that, but I don't, um, you know, I'm more on the maintenance side. Like I usually will take mine in and, and make sure I have all my tolerances are good before I go on a sheep hunt, uh, make, get my wear ring. If there's any doubt in my mind whatsoever, then I just change, change them, it out. Yeah. Right. Um, especially running like, you know, we go sheep hunting and then we'll, we'll run moose hunting. Like me and Kurt will run around here, moose hunting in the Fraser. It's dirty water, right? So you get more wear on your, on your wear rings and impellers and stuff like that. So I take a spare impeller for sure, the nut, and then I take an impact that I can get that that uh, impeller off with. And we'll take, uh, you know, some JB Weld and stuff like that. And we got a toolbox. Uh, I always take a spare fuel pump. Those 200s are, are notorious yeah. for cooking the fuel pumps, right? I think Garrick and Omer actually lost the fuel pump on their last trip. And I actually gave them my spare so it kind of helped them out a bit. But. I think every time they've gone, they fucking yeah, they say, change the fuel pump. I change mine out before every sheep hunting trip. So, yeah. so no matter what hours I got on it, um, I'll put an I put a new fuel pump in it right before I go up there, and I have a brand new spare always with me. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's good. And so, what else do we take? Uh, I take personally. My boat's got a my boat has a receiver hitch in the front and the back that I got just to piece of metal sticking out of it with a hole through it so we can put a shackle through on either side and i take a chainsaw winch with me i got a oh, it's yeah. a Lu- lewis or loomis chainsaw winch nice chainsaw and then i just take a spare bar too with me so my winch is my chainsaw in the boat yeah so we take that take the fuel jugs obviously our two life jackets where we take uh, some rope um i go grab some climbing rope which a lot of people say stretches too much but it's hard to have all the rope in there. I've had big rope, little rope. I've had rope that says it doesn't stretch. We've had lead rope, you know. Yeah. So I always take a couple hundred feet of rope in case we have to, you know, somehow get to shore on the other side of the bank and hook to a tree or you never know what really happens there. Um, and then I take a, you know, a nice set of tools, sockets, like a nice tool kit for in there that stays in my boat all the time. Um, we always take, a, you know, a couple extra pairs of sunglasses are always in the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, in case you lose yours on the mountain or, or whatever 
I've tried the, you know, taking goggles, ski goggles and stuff. We haven't really had too many bad experiences in the rain coming in or out in all of our trips. But I know it's obviously oh. could really screw you Especially up where you just pull over and stop, right? If you're doing October hunts, it can get fucking snow and cold. Yeah. That cold fucking wind is hard in the ice. Yeah. And... You know, you're always cold on the river, right? Like, rivers are cold, especially up north. You know, you got to pack different gear. I don't separate my boat gear from my sheet pack gear. I'll take, like, I take, uh, like, I'll take the the Yukon set for in the boat. Yeah. And then I'll pack the Kujash in my, in my backpack, usually. But, uh, yeah, that way I just have my rain gear right there. I can throw my rain gear on quick without trying to unstuff. Mine's got all my arm, my gear goes in the in the front of the boat yeah like all my packs and everything because i got the rain cover up there that, that nothing can get wet when we pound through w- waves or whatever but and the fuel jugs is different too we also take a fuel pump because those fuel t- jugs are heavy so we just take battery powered fuel pumps and or else we take one that you can get a princess auto that you hook to the battery and fill your boat up so you don't have to lift up those 60 liter yeah. jugs right Put a hose in it. and we take some spare batteries for them um like your exhaust ports where they come out, we've had problems where where we've where we've melted the plastic hoses like on the exhaust sides of things. So I got mine all changed to all steel now, but mm-hmm. uh, we used to take a couple spare punks and some hoses that we have in there, and you know lots of oil. You don't want to be short on oil. Um, I also take my boat has a trim nozzle on the jet side of things, so I take some ATF for the for the trim nozzle hydraulics that yeah. are in there. Just trying to walk through my head what else we take inside the boat. Uh, we take a little fishing rod usually, a little compact fishing rod, little tiny tackle box with just some, some spin caster things because yeah. you can always catch a couple fish, which is nice after eating Mountain House. Definitely. Um, <laughs> we take a cooler, which will be our boat food. So we have boat food that we will, just one cooler, we'll pick our favorite stuff. Whether With us, it's usually um, bacon and eggs and and a frozen lasagna in the bottom of it. We take a nice Yeti cooler that will stay cold. And that's our boat fuel. So when we get back to to the boat camp, we have the the food for the nice dinner. So usually the boat all the way up, we'll camp at the boat that night. Wake up in the morning, we eat bacon and eggs. Nice, you know, for your first big hike in. Yeah. Get lots of food in you from there. And then we close up the Yeti and we go up on our on our hunt and we come back down and then we come back to that, that cooler. Um what else is there? Usually a 40 pounder whiskey, usually stacked yeah. up in the sidewall of the boat. That's too. guaranteed, yeah. though. Yeah, well, that's, plastic, that's necessity. Pla- that's on the top of the list. That's not even yeah. like fucking maintenance items. It's like what yeah, it's items essential. to make sure are packed. Essential. Yeah. Essential. essential. And you're trying to find the plastic bottles. So you're usually not getting the good whiskey either. It's usually like the yeah. Royal Reserve. Alberta Premium. Yeah. Alberta Premium or Royal Reserve or Canadian Club plastic yeah. bottles, right? <laughs> on there. And, and you really got to choke it down. Yeah. Whiskey and iced tea powder. Oh, fuck. Whiskey and iced tea tastes good in the backcountry. It doesn't taste good at home. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, going off past jet boat now, like, we always like to end the stories on with uh or end the fucking pod with like your favorite hunting story i i know me and you personally have a ton too but what's your uh favorite fucking story you had from your experiences in the backcountry yeah well uh, it's it's a hard one that that one i've had i've had so many good ones right like you know going on so many multiple trip years we we did that, you know, we didn't kill sheep on every trip. I usually killed sheep within the year, but we would just keep going until you could. Like, sometimes we'd just go up and, 
you know, go in for 10 days and we used to just take the back of the truck and we just load it full of freeze dried. Like I'm talking totes of freeze dried and everything you could ever imagine we'd have in the back of the truck. We go on a 10 day hunt. We'd blow in a toad river, hit the rent a cabin for two nights, shower, do some glass and elk and stuff during the day and back on a plane back in again. Right. But, uh, my favorite trip was probably my one. It's most memorable one of mine because you know, it was, uh, the first trip we went on after Dave passed away, and yeah. Dave, I don't know, um, David Marsh, he started the Sheep Hunt website. He's a good friend of ours. Part of the Wild Sheep Society. Part of the Wild Sheep Society, big part of the Wild Sheep Society. Uh, Jason was really close with them. Jason went uh, on quite a few big moose hunting, horseback trips with them and stuff like that. Um, personally, me, I never went sheep hunting with them ever, but we talked lots. I actually would room with them when we went to the, went to the, to the sheep shows and stuff like that, so really good friend of ours and he he passed away on a trip uh on a hunting trip uh the year before that so it was jason's first uh trip after that and and we went up there and you know it was kind of let's go kill a couple sheep and for jason and or for david and stuff like that so we ended up going up to kachika uh we pounded all the way up there we uh best thing to do when you go to the kachika i find is you can leave your boat right at Sook's landing but we we uh, go to Coal River. We drive all the way from Quinell to Coal River in one day. We stay there. I get a hotel room there, and the, the people there are just great people. Um, they don't ever ask us for money. We always leave money in the hotel room or something for them. We just leave them 100 bucks or something like that. But they wake up in the morning. They, they cook you breakfast in the morning, and then they run you down, drop your boat in the river, and then they bring your trailer and truck back up to Coal River to the hotel room, and they leave it there. Yeah. And we just in reach them when we're coming out, and they come pick us up. So... We went up the, the Kachika, uh, quite a ways up the Kachika. And it was a, a river, like a, a, a river draw that we found on Google Earth that never had ever heard anybody going into. Didn't really know there was sheep in there at all. Uh, so it was a river bottom all the way in. And it was, it was it's a long hike in there. Basically, I think you make it in there about 12, 14 hours or something like that to the bottom. Yeah. And... Uh, we went in there on the first day and we got in there, it was, was it the day before the opener? It was, it was the day before the opener because we killed our rams on the opener. Mm -hmm. So we pounded in the day before the opener. We got in pretty late to camp and there was no firewood at all. There was like, we missed, we left, like it was just like horrible wood in there. So we didn't have a fire that night, which kind of comes into play in the story. I'm maybe, I'm not too sure. So we didn't have a fire that night. Normally I'm a fire guy. I like to get down into the trees, have a fire, you know, dry my socks off. You know, I like that camping experience with your buddies. Like I like the experience side of things. I don't know if it's the smartest thing when you're in sheep country to have a fire. You know, most people don't think too much of it, but it does cross your mind when you're up there. So we didn't have a fire that night anyway. And we woke up in the morning, we had our mountain houses and and we said, okay, we had an idea. There was three three draws up the valley that we wanted to check out. So we seen actually, I don't know, probably 20 lambs and ewes in the back end of one of the draws right from camp. So we said, okay, well, you know, we like to go a draw over from where the lambs and ewes are, or two draws over usually. So we said, okay, we're going to go and try and get up this draw. So we spent about, I don't know, it's probably about three hours that morning hiking up the valley, getting up into that draw. So we stopped and we glassed that draw. And we don't see much up that draw. One guy's glassing back. And, you know, I, I just happened to turn around. And this was actually one of the hunts that we talk about where who spots it shoots it. It wasn't yeah. a, a flip draw. And, like, when I hunt with Jay, he spots all the sheep. I don't spot any, right? <laughs> so he's looking up the draw we're looking at. And I just turned around and glass, like, literally 
200 feet above where we just camped. Yeah. And there's nine rams right there. Or six rams or something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was multiple rams in there. <laughs> I look back there and I'm like, rams. So like, I get to pick now, right? Yeah. So, so he's like, no. And I'm like, yeah, like right above where camp was. So we glass these and we're on the other side now, like across the valley and they're on the other side of the valley. And I said, yeah. And so we, we get, we're talking about spotters. I rock the, the 65, but Jay's got the Leica with the, you know, the, the dub that focuses it right in, right? So yeah. you crank up on these things. And there's two really nice sheep in there. There's one other sheep. He's pretty much legal. And then there's a couple, couple dinks in with them. And there's two really nice ones. I'm like, oh, these are not, not nice enough for us to go back to, right? So that was in the morning. They had, uh, they had, like, you know, they were kind of feeding down into the grass and they, they were feeding down there. So we started, we were about coming back the other way. It was a little bit downhill. So we came out. I think we got back to that where we camped about three hours. And uh, they'd already went back up right to the top and bedded down in the rocks right at the top, right? Yeah. And it was like a, a, a kind of a bully situation where it went to nothing so there's a rock face on the one side so we either and i'm like you know not very patient it was i guess no the tornado no so so i i i'm saying like we're sitting there and there's a rock face and i said there's got to be like a shelf like i can see it in the in the rock face where and that's the only spot these sheep where they're bedded down wouldn't see us right so and Jay says, well, why don't we just sit down at the bottom and wait for them to come down and feed tonight and then we can get a better look at them when they come down the bottom. I'm like, when they, I'm, I'm ready to kill the yeah, sheep, right? I'm like, that. no, we're not waiting, <laughs> right? He's like, really, we're going to go all the way up there? I'm like, yeah, we're going up there, right? So so we end up, we, it was like the most textbook unreal stock you could ever imagine on these rams. So we get on this shelf and it's like a vertical shelf, right? And it's maybe got four feet of a ledge, and it's a nice grass ledge. And as we're going up this grass ledge, it probably took us like three hours to get to where we could see the sheep up this ledge, right? And there's like sheep, sheep shit all over. Like you could tell they'd been in there, right? Yeah. So, you know, you're all excited up. And we get to where we think we should be able to see them. And, and it's like a complete drop off ravine, cliffed out. We're done, right? And we can't see the sheep yet. So now I'm like, mm, right? So, and, and then I, I'm looking around and I can hear water running, right? So I, I look and behind me in the rock cliff, there's like literally a little, like maybe the width of your shoulders cut out where like an old waterfall or something must have went in there. And I scooted in this waterfall and it was like all shaly and like I had to put my hands on the sides and, and get up this waterfall. And Jay goes, you know, these aren't worth dying over, right? And I, yeah. I said, I just got to go a little bit. And so I get around the corner through the waterfall and it was another shelf. They went back up farther, up higher. Yeah. So I like I yelled out. I'm like, oh no, we're good. There's a shelf. We keep going. Like, get, come on, let's go. <laughs> and it was a little bit sketchy getting in there. Like you know when you get in oh, sketchy yeah, spots, in right? There. So we we wedge ourselves up through this waterfall. We get up on this other shelf and we pound up to the top and we poke over and they're they're like sitting there just perfect, like 250 yards from us, right, bedded down. You know we had tons of time. Nice grassy knob. We sat there and. And, you know, we put the spotters on them for quite a while, counted rings, figured out what was going on. Um, we knew that we were going to, we we're trying to decide where, the, like, we knew I was going to kill the, the one who ended up being a 10-year-old, or 9-year-old, it was a 9-year-old. Um, I thought it was 10, but Jay thought it was 9, and it was 9, I'll give him that. But, so we end up killing this 9-year-old ram, or I end up saying, okay, I'm going to kill this 9-year-old ram, but there's a really nice, 
like eight year old ram that's like nice and he's actually way more curled up than the other one the other one was broomed and i was into broom rams at that time yeah and uh he was he's a beautiful sheep he's probably two and a half inches full curl or something like that like he's there's no no questions asked yeah. on this thing but you know i was thinking we're like do we need to take two out of here or do we not take two out you know and trying to make jay and i'm like sitting there like okay like figure it out like yeah I'm, yeah i said i says i say to him i said well, I'll tell you one thing. It's going to make really good pictures because we're, we're it was talking your about, birthday too. Wasn't and it's it? my birthday too. Yeah. yeah. So, and I'm like, that's that's the beauty of my birthday. My birthday's on opening day of sheep season. Yeah. August first. It's you can't ask for much better. <laughs> Never have to be around the wife when, on your birthday night or not the night. You're always doing what you want. So, so I said to him, I said, well, we wait. I don't know. It's probably. I want to say 10 minutes, but it was probably two minutes. And he says, are you going to fucking decide yet? Because I'm going to kill this fucking round pretty quick. Right? And he says, and so finally he says, okay, I'll, let's, we'll, we'll, let's take the double, right? So we decided yeah. to take the double. So I said, okay, I'll, so we lay it all out. Like, you know, we're both experienced shooters. We shoot lots. Like, they're 300 yards. These are yeah. two dead sheep. Right? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Right? So we got bipods out, like rest, like just like laying prone. It's like perfect, dead flat. We're exactly level with the sheep, so we could totally get a really good uh, like read on the sheep because you know if you're lower, they'll look bigger, and you know yeah. you want to get a level look at them, right? Of them, yeah. So we, we knew we were killing these two sheep. So I said, okay. So mine was in his bed. They were actually both in their beds, and I said, okay, I'll I'll put one in mine in his bed, and and the other one's gonna pop up, and then you can tattoo that one because you know, I could we knew mine was the lead ram. He's not gonna run away. Yeah, they'll all freeze. So yeah, I ended up making a, a kill shot, shot him in his bed, never even got up, never took another breath, just that was the end of him, didn't kick, didn't do nothing. Jay's round stood up, he drilled it, he drilled it, fell, broke its jaw pretty good, and just stopped both dead right there. Yeah. Right? So then there was some high fives and some excitement, right? And we, we decided to take that those two rounds in memory of Dave, for sure, definitely crossed our mind up there. So we... Now we got to go down this rock ledge and down this waterfall, right? I think it took us, I don't know, it must have took us two to four hours. I can't really remember to get down. And then we had to hike all the way back up from the bottom right to the top because we couldn't get to where the sheep were. It was like they were 300 yards away, but it took us four hours to get there. Yeah. Because we had to go all the way down to the very bottom and then all the way back up. And Jay's a big boy too. He likes he likes horse, horse hunting. You know, cause we were pretty, we were pretty worn out by the end of that. We got up to the top there and we had to, you know, cape them out and, uh, get all the meat, you know, two guys, two full sheep in the packs, pretty That's steep. That's fucking on, heavy. Uh, yeah. then all the way down, we got down just the, after dark, a couple hours after dark to, to camp there. And, uh, that, that stock was pretty crazy for sure. So we had, no, go ahead, way. Sorry. I was just going to say, yeah. And then, you know, the, the most memorable parts of it is actually when you're you're coming down you got the sheep loaded on your pack right you know it's that hard hard rocky stuff where you you slip a little bit and you slide right like there's not like you're it's not like the shale where you're digging your heels and it's and we got heavy packs so we came down pretty slow you get down to camp and then light if we lit a fire that night found a bunch of old like you know that shitty wood that stinks like cat yeah. piss when you burn it or balsam. whatever balsam yeah we burnt a bunch of that that night and just sat there beside the fire, beside the fire, just looking at two, two caped out sheep, right? The horns getting pictures of in in the back of the fire and stuff. And then next morning we next morning we uh, oh, so we, 
I can, I'll tell a story about like uh, the tent we had up there. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna. That's what I was gonna <laughs> ask. I was like, okay, yeah. I want to hear the, the. That was the glory story. Now I want to hear the gear. Fucking. I know yeah. there's another story involved in this. Yeah. So we we ended up deciding like we're still into that lightweight area that, at this point. Uh, versus now I don't. I now I like to take a Highlandberg tent. Like I don't care what it weighs, and I'm dry yeah. every night, and I got a wicked vestibule and. So I, I actually took a one-man Kuyu tent up there. Right with the, one of the first years they came out with them. It, it wasn't a, that bad of a tent, but it, it was a really good layout of the of the layout of the tent. But it was just built so lightweight, right? Like the zippers were just like, like you know, just thin, frail. like just frail zippers, right? And, and we ended up, we ended up, we were up there and we, uh, my zipper ripped on the, on the fly. So, and it was windy up there too. So, you know, you get the wind inside your tent, right? Everything's blowing around. And so we ended up the first night we got up there before we seen the Rams, my tent, my, my zipper was broken. So I said, well, you know, it was flapping around. I said, Jay, can you like tie wire? We had a bit of tie wire and, and duct tape and some needle and thread and stuff. I said, just, but we'll, we'll zip it down. So it'll zip down and it wouldn't stay zipped. Right. It just kept breaking up. So we ended up tying it all down but I couldn't get out of my tent now. Yeah. Right? And, and Jay snores like he's he's pretty heavy sleeper. Right. So I can hear him snoring and I got to piss. So I'm like, like now I can't get on my tent. So I'm trying to wake him up kind of. And so I ended up like digging up these Kuyu tents. You got your sleeping spot and then you got a little side vestibule. So I ended up having to dig a hole and I'm like throwing the dirt underneath the tent. Right. Cause I didn't just want to piss where I'm going to stand <laughs> in the morning. Right. Yeah. So I dug this hole, I dug this hole down and I ended up using that as my piss hole because I was locked in my tent for the whole entire time. So I like unzip my, my tent and like roll sideways out. It actually wasn't that bad because it's a pain in the ass. Like, yeah. You know, I've heard of old people pissing in bottles and stuff and draining them out in the morning and you know, me, I get up, but, but yeah. I used to be able to just roll over and, you know, I'd piss in the hole and I remember Jay wakes up in the morning. And I'm like, would you freaking let me out of this goddamn tent, right? Yeah. <laughs> and he's laughing, right? And, so he got me out and he's like, what is this hole you dug here? And I'm like, well, fuck, I had to piss last night. So I had to dig a hole down. So I'm not standing in my piss in the morning, right? Yeah. Wayland's digging a latrine in sheep country. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like so a- so we, we came down, we came down heavy, like back down to base camp after we killed them two rounds. And let's just say that tent didn't make it out there. She got, she was a bit of torch fuel that night. We burnt that tent in the morning and <laughs> we were heavy she. She went to rest up on the mountain there that night. Yeah. Well, Kuyu made the tent for sheep country. It fucking died in sheep country. Yeah. One way trip. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Fuck, that's fucking funny, yeah. man. Yeah, it was, so, it was a really good trip. Uh, it was awesome. We got back down. Jay packs a shower in the riverboat, like when you could. Uh, a little solar no like it, it wasn't one of the ones you hang in a tree it actually is like a you take a little green propane bottle and a burner oh no way and it's like a it's like a like you know like a garden sprayer but it's steel yep. and it mounts on top you put the burner on the bottom it heats it up it's got a temperature gauge and then you just pour then you just take that thing hang it up and then you have a shower like that so we came down and had a shower and that's sick yeah we had a bunch of whiskey and rum at the at the boat we got a little bit lit up that night and told stories left the sheep sheep uh, meet in the river actually there's a little creek coming down there so it stayed nice and cold for the night and then we ended up boating boating out in the morning but it was it was a so, really good trip yeah so like round trip on that uh what's your round trip like i mean you guys are successful fairly early but like you 
you leaving the truck to getting back to the truck how many days is, was that adventure um to be honest with you i've had quite a few like early early sheep kills um like those you're like usually i think that trip we were maybe six days back to the truck not even i don't think we boated up one day hiked up the next day killed the rams the next day hiked out the next day yeah was that awesome? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to put you on the spot or try to, like, build you up too much. But honestly, like, I, I've talked to you and, and just from this podcast, it, you have a lot of success in the sheep world. What do you attribute most of that to? Like, I feel like you're a pretty, pretty successful sheep hunter. And I'm not saying, like, sheep hunting is the be all end all when you look at a successful thing. There's a lot of challenges in hunting and stuff, but there's just something about sheep hunting success for me that I put it pretty high. I mean, it's something that not everyone does because of the challenge to get there. I think it's a challenge to get into that sheep country. So what is your like number one? Like what have you learned in these last 10 or 12 years that Waylon does every time to help put you in those successful situations? Well, there's a, there's a couple things for sure. Like, you know, the, the conditioning is the, best part of it and once you have your sheep legs which you'll people know probably know what i'm talking about here like on the multiple trip years like after you go and you pound in and pound out and go sit for three days and go in again like your legs are like rocks right like he doesn't even bug you anymore so once you're over the conditioning side of it um like johnny's most you know probably one of the most things that he said to me that i really paid attention to is you have to hunt the sheep you have to not give up Mm-hmm. You have to stay in there. You don't, if you see them, you can't be lazy. Like there's zero lazy. It doesn't matter if you got to go three draws over. If there's something over there that you feel is worth taking a second look at, you go take that second look at, you know, don't give up. Um, if you're sore, which everybody is, you're not the only one, especially the new sheep hunters when they go in there. If you're sore, take a camp day. Yeah. If you got 10 days worth of food, use your 10 days. Like there's no reason to come out early besides a family injury back home that you get a, a nasty in reach on, or if you run out of food, yeah. right? You've, you've planned for this trip forever. You don't go up there and, and you know, like I, I've went on a, a couple trips where we've learned this mistakes from before, right? We go into an area and, you know, we pound it pretty hard. We look at this mountain, we look at this, especially when we're doing the multiple trips a year, we'd take 10 days food in there and we'd spend seven days in there and be like, okay, let's get out of here. There's no sheep in here. There is sheep in there. Yeah. If you're seeing sign, you're seeing sheep shells. There's lambs and ewes. There's rams in there. There's somewhere in there, right? You just have to hunt them. So you can't you can't give up on you know your anxiety that you have of oh my god I'm away from my family I'm out, I'm out in the wilderness there's grizzly bears around me whatever the anxiety is that you get it you have to overcome that fear and you have to stay in there and hunt them. You come out basically when you're out of food. Or there's a family emergency or a reason to come out. Yeah. You don't come out because, oh, there's no sheep in here. There's If you went in there, you've done the research to know that there should be sheep in there. That's the one thing I like. You are the probably the biggest influencer on me when it comes to e-scouting. Like I go over to your place and you'd pull up Google Earth, man. And this guy's got a billion fucking waypoints dropped on every fucking mountain, every ridge. And you're like I said, how you dissect the youtube videos and like like you're the one you're like that guy killed that sheep right fucking here and then you watch the video and i'm like you're fucking right and then like you 
like yeah your google earth fucking on your laptop is unbelievable yeah. like but you've done your research you've done the e-scouting you you know you've you've called fucking outfitters you've called old guys you've called the guys where are they flying people into like do your fucking research because that'll save you from going into a super popular place where there's a hundred hunters or going into a spot where there might not be any sheep, but also going into a spot where people might not know their sheep and those sheep haven't been disturbed for 10, 15 years. And that's when you get them old, old fucking tanks, right? Yeah. Research is huge and you have to know what you're wanting. Like, you know, one thing that I, I would suggest people take into consideration is, is it your first, second, third time going sheep hunting and you want to see sheep, right? Yeah. With a chance that you're going to kill an eight or a nine year old ram, right? Then there's certain areas that you want to go into that have more density of sheep. And if anybody does the research, so you can figure out where those densities of sheep are yeah. versus going into somewhere where, yeah, there's sheep in there, but you might see two or three on a trip yeah. or four on a trip. But the one that you do see probably has age, right? So it depends what you want to do. You want to, you, like, you know, for a, a new hunter, like if I were to take a guy that's getting into sheep hunting that I respected, and I would, would take him, I'd take him to a, highly, a more highly density area of sheep because now he's going to figure out how to glass them. Like spotting sheep's huge, right? When there's more sheep in there, once your eyes are trained how to pick sheep out of rocks, how to, you know, look for their little white patches on their legs versus the black, right? Like that's a dead giveaway yeah. to me. Um, you know, the, the color of their asses, everything to do with that. Like that all comes into factors for sure. Definitely. Like I, I still remember the first time that I went sheep hunting and the first time I glassed sheep. Like, and I just remember looking at the hillside being like, what the fuck are them little, like they look like weird little alien dots. dots. And then you look at it deeper and you're like, holy fuck, they're sheep. And they're all lambs and ewes, but it doesn't matter, man. That like, I was on cloud fucking nine. And then you're like, you see four, right? Like on the obvious hillside in the sun. But then you start looking around and there's 30 fucking sheep on that hillside. Yeah. And then you look at that for a couple hours. You're okay, pick them apart. No rams. Go to the next one. And then all of a sudden, boom, you go to another one. There's fucking 30 more. And then, then you start picking out goats. And then you start picking out grizzly bears. And then like the glassing, the first trip, uh, those are some of the memories that uh, <laughs> that I'll remember forever because... You know, the, the landscape is unbelievable, but that amount of animals you see and you watch them do their things, like we watched a grizzly bear skyline up a knife ridge and we're watching sheep below them and we're like, holy fuck, like what's that bear doing way up in the craggiest fucking cliffs? And he got right above them sheep and I wish we recorded it. Like Garrett, well, I think we talked about it on an earlier pod, but like that fucking grizzly bear got right above them lambs and ewes. And it ran like 400 yards straight down the fucking cliffs. In 10 seconds. Yeah. yeah. Like top to bottom. And the sheep heard it. And the sheep skirted up and over. And that bear came right down to that ledge that them sheep were on. And he was looking like, where'd they go? Like that's that's some National Geographic shit that you try to explain that to someone. Like, yeah, whatever. right? But it's like, no, I watched it with my fucking eyes in the spotter. Like. You don't see that shit. It's unbelievable. So no, and, and grizzly bears come into play on on lots of times, oh, right? Like I remember we talked about my first trip I went on with Kent, and I took my own tent in, right? They took their own tents in there. We're sitting at camp. We get to camp like two days back in there. And I'm, okay, I'm gonna set my like t- complete rookie, like never even spent an overnight trip hunting. Like hunted with my grandpa, and, and 
you know, I saw moose hunting and elk hunting and stuff around here, but not overnight hunts, right? Yeah. So I just go and I, I'm looking for a nice flat spot, you know, not a bunch of brush to pull out to set my tent up, right? Well, I, so I walk down the trail, like, you know, just away from camp a little bit, right? And, oh, yeah, there's perfect, a nice flat spot, right? So I set my tent up, right? And he goes, where will I come back to camp after, right? I'm all set up, got my tent completely set up, got my sleep bag in there, like my thermorest blowing up. I'm like, all, you know, pretty proud of myself. I get back to the camp and they're like, where'd you go? I said, well, I just went up the trail a little bit and put, and put my tent up there. He goes, what do you mean you put your tent up there? On the trail? And I said, yeah. And he looks down, there's, there's like a monster grizzly bear track yeah. right on the trail, right? He's like, he ain't retarded. You don't camp on the game trails. Like, yeah. go over off to over here, right? So I had to go take everything down and set it back up. And just little things like that, like knowing, you your, knowing your surroundings when you're up there. That's, I don't, I'm not scared of the grizzly bears up there. Like, you know, I, I've never had a massive, massive problem. I've bumped into them before and, you know, been, been pushed up at them, but never had. And I know it, it, it easily could happen. And, and I'm a bit of a different person too. Like, you know, a lot of people don't ever put their guns in their packs and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I do, I put my gun in my pack, right. Which I probably shouldn't. And, you know, more knowledge that I get, I don't, but I will take it out in certain areas once I get right up in the alpine yeah. and I can see a long ways. I'll yeah. I'll put it on my pack and now like when I'm going up through the thick stuff and in the bottoms then it's in my hand all the yeah, time, right? Exactly. Same with us. Yeah, we do the same thing. We have like two two setups. It's either under the backpack shoulder strap so you can quickly release it and it's there. Yeah. Or we leave it on the side of the bag. And it just depends on the train. Like when Kurt and I were packing out, we almost wanted it in our hands. Like that yeah. shit was so thick, like you couldn't see six feet ahead of you for eight You'd foot tall brush. Yeah, yeah, you, you would bump it something. in the ass before you seen it. Yeah. yeah. So we were we were walking out, like we we're fucking covered in blood. We we're tired, we got no sleep. Seven hour pack out. Like my pack was a hundred thirty fucking twenty five, hundred thirty five pounds. Yeah, mine was one twenty five. So like going on no sleep, <laughs> and yeah, he was I was a little bit more. <laughs> but uh, it was your ram. You better be more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But, uh, like, and I remember talking to Johnny, like, he's like, as long as, like, if you're walking into the wind, then you got to be aware because that's when you're going to bump. Yeah, but, but you don't get to choose with the, wind, the wind. Then you're fine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we're, we're walking out and the wind's in our face the whole time. So I'm like, okay, like, we're not hunting at this point. We're just trying to get back. So we're like singing and laughing and like being as loud as we fucking can mm-hmm. for like seven hours. And we just kept oh. saying the same fucking Fuck. shit over it. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> like, just singing fucking just having a fun, songs. Yeah. yeah, dumb as shit ever. I listen to music. So, so like, when I first started going, this is Dwayne, one of the guys I go with there, he had a real crazy experience. Actually, he was actually with a black bear, but, like, actually ended up killing it from the hip at, like, two feet, like, coming out of the bush. And so he's, like, really paranoid, yeah. right? So... And I like to listen to music when I'm hiking. Like, I find I, I just sing to myself. and Get in the like, zone. And just get in the zone, and I just keep going foot after foot after foot, right? So I always used to take headphones and put them into, like, an, uh, uh, well, whatever, anything to play music with. And I'd only ever put one in because Dwayne would get so mad at me, right? He'd be like, your gun's in your back. You got headphones in. I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now what I do, actually, I don't take the headphones anymore. I just play my, I take an extra battery. Like you talk about yep. pounding a bunch of batteries, right? So I, I'll like just turn my phone on music, like on the speakerphone. And I stick it in between my vinyls and my inside of my vinyl harness. Yeah, I do that And too. I just let music go. And so you got the music to, you know, keep the yeah. animals know you're around there and stuff. Huh. Yeah, Definitely. That's interesting. I've never heard of anyone doing that. That's uh, 
Pro yeah, they... tip from Whale on the Roof. Yeah. Play your music, scare the bears. Pro tip from the tornado, man. Yeah. Get the in the tor- zone. Yeah. Fuck you. Okay, well, this one's... She's, we ran pretty long here, but fuck, man. We could sit here and bullshit about stories oh, all yeah. fucking day. Yeah. So. I went through awesome. one trip, not 15. <laughs> oh, I know. Like, yeah, we've just scraped the surface on all oh, the it's trips. Been, it's been awesome, I think. Yeah, uh, man. I would love to have you back on our fucking new trips, old trips, don't matter. I mean, it's... Well, uh, you're, you're it's going out again for the opener, I think. So are we. So we'll have to do a recap with all the buddies after the, the yeah. sheep season. You and think, uh, actually, you know talking about buddies hunting guys you think jason arrow would come on and, and talk about your guys's trips too is that a guy you think would chat about that kind of stuff well he, he might for sure i don't think yeah. he'd be against it no he's yeah he's yeah. been on a lot of bear. well you could really get a lot you could get a really good a good story out of him especially like exploring the horse side of things yeah, yeah. that's he's what we always super knowledgeable on the horse side i only ever went sheep hunting with him once because he they really like the the horse side of things and i'm allergic to horses i don't do horse trips but might have to go get a shot to go on it because they should go on some really big moose oh, hunting trips. Their, right? their moose hunts look incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Him and his do. kids and everything. Well, yeah, it's been uh, a really good, I think we'll, uh, we'll probably sign her off here and, and call her a pod, but Waylon, thanks a lot for joining us and uh, telling no us problem. all your, all your tricks and secrets <laughs> and all the knowledge you had. I mean, it's been, it's been great. I really enjoyed this one and, Good luck to you this year, because I probably won't see you, so uh, all the best. Yeah, you bet, Then Thanks for having me. Yeah. Cheers. Uh, yeah. Peace. Bye. I came from the mud, there's dirt on my hands, strong like a tree, there's roots where I stand, oh, I've been wrong. From the law Hope they won't shoot me down soon
When the sun rises, when the sun.